Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Guess what day it is? Huh? Hump day! Good morning, everyone. Happy Hump Day. Hope that uh, you're okay driving in the snow this morning. It is the opening drive on 101 ESPN at 7 o'clock. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I'm Randy Carricker. Kerry Davis is out this week. He's in Los Angeles. He is a coach for the NFLPA All-Star Game. And not only is he a coach, but he's coaching for Jeff Fisher's team, so it's not all perfect. But uh, he is down there. And Brooke Grimsley is in for him. Brooke, good morning. Good morning. We all we all survived Snowmageddon. Look, a little little round of applause for so everybody far. showing everybody up today. today. There we yeah. go. Yeah. We all made it in here. It was a little bit of a tough drive. Just a little bit. But, Randy, I, I heard that you had the worst drive coming oh, yeah. in today. Yeah, my mile was terrible. It was just <laughs> awful. Yeah, I had to uh, go out. I actually did put my windshield cover on the car last night, mm-hmm. went outside, ripped that windshield cover off, left all the snow on the hood and the top of the car and everything, and I was here in two minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is so tough. And by Thank the way, hey, uh, props to the folks at MoDOT. I haven't been in Illinois yet, but where we are right now in Creve Corps, and uh, I live in unincorporated county, the people that are plowing the streets have done a magnificent job quickly. So kudos to them. Round of applause. Yes, for round the, of applause. Guys. We all made it. And by the way, throughout the course of the morning here on the opening drive, we're in. One oh one ESPN Storm Mode. So we'll keep you up to date on what's going on on the roads and whether or not there's more snow on the way. Yeah, I'm looking out the window right now for our first snow report, and it is snowing still. <laughs> snowing, yeah. With uh, meteorologist Brooke Grimsley, Thank I'm Captain you. Randy Carricker. It's great to have you with us. Traffic and weather together on the uh, twos here on 101 ESPN. We'll get the chopper up uh, later on in the program. Uh, it's kind of stormy for our St. Louis Blues right now. They finish a homestand, a seven-game homestand, with a record of three wins and four losses following... A 5-3 loss to the uh, Buffalo Sabres last night. Buffalo Sabres, if the playoffs started today, would not be in the playoffs. At least, you know, sometimes, like when when bad things are going to happen, you don't want it to just be dragged out. You just want to rip the Band-Aid off and have it be over so that you can just move on to the next thing. And that was kind of the story of, of this game last night. Pitlick. Picks it up. Thompson takes it right back, and the shot comes on. Rebound into the slot. They score! Paige Thompson created the problems, and the Buffalo Sabres are right there to pound it in. Sabres will roll it in behind the net. They center, they shoot, they score! It goes to Alex Tuck. He was in the slot, and he beats Bennington under the glove. 
2-0 Buffalo, 18.35 to go. Buffalo to the near side to get it to Thompson. He drags it, far wing they go. Center, tap it and score! Owen Power, his second NHL goal on a tap and it's 3-0. And the Blues have hung their goalie out to dry. So that happened with 9.07 uh, into the first period, and you're thinking after the first period, okay, we, we've got 11 minutes here. We didn't allow him to score. Maybe something good will happen until the second period started. Tuck in, Tuck drags, centers, and a backhand shot. Tage Thompson scores. Wow. Minute 10 into the second period, and it's a 4-0 Buffalo lead as, again, they've scored early. And Brooke, the Sabres wound up winning it by a score of 5-3. The Blues, Blues did rally and allowed an empty netter, but uh, they, they couldn't hang on. And it is interesting. The NHL, if you go to NHL.com, for every game they have what's called a game summary. And it's got the goal score, Buffalo on ice, St. Louis on ice. For those first four goals, if you just look down the column, on ice for the Blues, 55, 55, 55, 55. So a minute 10 into the second period, well, Colton, Colton Pareko was a minus four. Minus four. I, I think that's bad, right? Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, that's that's pretty bad. I I you know the thing is is it's getting really hard to explain with and Chris Kerber pointed this out last night after the game. It is, of course, on the Blues defense. Colton Pareko obviously struggling right now because Craig Bruby even demoted him during the game. He paired him with Tucker a little bit later on in the third period. But it's hard to explain now too because in general, the Blues just defensively are struggling. And that's on the forwards, too. Nobody mm-hmm. seems to be doing their job. This is a team that used to, especially if you look at that 2019 Blues team, really hung their hat on forechecking and being a threat physically. And they're not doing that right now. I mean, you have back-to-back games with really bad starts. Braden Shin even mentioned that in his post-game comments that, hey... We're, we're getting off to really bad starts. We kind of dig ourselves into a hole it's hard to get out of. I thought Shin's comments on that yeah. were pretty interesting Let, last night. Let's hear from Shinner. You know, it's starting on time. You can't do that two games in a row, then come down, come expect to come back from 4-0 and, and 3-0, obviously make pushes. But it's reality is it's hard to come back from 3-0 or 4-0 in this league. And, and um, you know, we, myself included, gave up the slot uh, early there in the first two minutes. And 4-0, it was 2-0. Uh, and when you aren't ready to play, ultimately, it comes back to leadership, right? It comes back to the coach having the team prepared to play and the players, this is the most important thing, holding e- each other accountable and the players in that room being ready to play. Ryan O'Reilly isn't in there. He's uh, Braid- Braden Chen is a veteran. He's doing what he can. But I don't know what this, and this would be a concern to me if I'm the Blues and I'm considering trading Ryan O'Reilly. I don't know who in that room takes over to hold somebody, account, the group accountable for not getting off to a fast start. Well, you would think that it would be Braden Shin. And look, mm-hmm. it seems to me, at least from the outside looking in, Braden Shin is a very vocal leader and also a leader that does by example. No question. And there's no doubt about that. You also have Robert Thomas wearing the A now, so he seems to obviously obviously be some sort of voice in that room. But here's the thing is this home stand for the Blues, seven game home stand, was a chance for them to get back in better standing because it seems like that eight game losing streak, everything's been about the Blues getting themselves out of that hole that they really dug themselves in. You thought that they were going to climb their way mm-hmm. back out of here. Then you end up going 3-4-0 and 
during your longest homestand of the season, which should be a huge advantage for you to get back in better standing. And you just end on a sour note. Two back-to-back bad losses, bad starts. Yes, they did climb their way a little bit back, especially in that game last night. But when you get off to such a bad start like that, it's hard to come back in a lot of ways. As Braden Shin meant there, as, as he said there, it's hard to really regroup and they just seem discombobulated is the best way to put it right no no doubt and doug armstrong is a guy who cares about that home record that's something that he keeps an eye on that's one of the reasons that he let mike yo go and promoted craig baruby in 2018 the blues 10 12 and 2 at home and brooke when you look at the best teams in the league carolina 14 5 and 2 at home uh, the Rangers 12, 9, and 4. Boston 21, 22, 1, and 3. Toronto 18, 3, and 4 at home. Dallas 13, 5, and 4. Winnipeg 17, and 6. The Blues are under 500 at home, and that's unacceptable. Hopefully, here's the thing sunshine, lollipops. Uh, they're heading on the road where they play a little bit better. And here's the other thing, Brooke. They're going to be starting in the mountain time zone. So, what is 7 o'clock he- here? Eight o'clock here is seven o'clock there. So the game starts seven o'clock their time. Maybe the Blues will be good because they get off to late starts and the games get off to late starts. <laughs> it just takes them a little bit to warm up, right? right so yeah. it's going to set them up for success. Yes, they have three games left before the All Star break, and maybe, hopefully, they'll use this time to figure out whatever is going on chemistry-wise. I was thinking about this last night, and I'm not trying to make excuses for the Blues, and they're not going to make excuses for themselves excuses. as well. Yeah. You are? Yeah. yeah. If the ratings are bad here, it's never my fault. It's <laughs> Rocky's the guy that's going, not me. I, I was just thinking about this last night. You have had so many injuries this season, and that even stems yeah. back to that eight-game losing streak. It is hard to kind of build some sort of chemistry, get guys on the same page when you have so many coming in and out in the lineup, including key pieces mm-hmm. like, say, a Ryan O'Reilly, who does lead that locker room. I agree with that. But even without injuries, they don't have anybody that approximates what people like Bo Meester and Petrangelo and Edmondson did in the year they won the Stanley Cup. They just don't have a rugged number one defenseman. And those guys are hard to find. They thought Pareko was going to be a rugged number one defenseman and didn't wind up being the guy. They knew that Justin Falk was a really nice player. And Justin Falk is a really nice player. But he's not a rugged number one guy. The Blues don't have that player that most championship teams have. There's a reason Toronto has never won or been to a Stanley Cup with all their talent. They don't have that guy. And there's a reason that Boston is good every year because they go out and get those guys. And right now, the Blues just don't have that guy. So, Coach Craig Ruby, where do you go from here? Ruby number three, maybe? Coach? Well, we just keep practicing and working on it. Guys got to be committed, more committed. And, you know, we just a better start for sure. Just you know, better start. Last game, I thought our start was good, but we still made two mistakes. It's in our net. And so the Blues will get some time off here, and then they'll play at Phoenix on Thursday. That would be tomorrow. They actually play in Tempe in that 5,000-seat arena. So that'll, mm. that'll, that'll be fun. Electric atmosphere. Yeah, it'll, it'll be awesome. 
Great news for Cardinal fans last night as Scott Rowland was elected to Baseball's Hall of Fame. Makes it by just five votes, but he makes it, and that's all we're looking for. Now, Scott Rowland played with Philadelphia when things were down with the Phillies. He wanted to get out of there, turned down a $140 million contract with Philadelphia, and wound up leaving literally $50 million on the table and signed with your St. Louis Cardinals for $90 million, and that netted him a World Series ring, the only one of his career. And coming from Philadelphia to St. Louis, was quite an eye-opener for number 27. I kind of got traded to a championship team, or at least a caliber championship team. And, and what I found out, they, they were veteran guys, and their mindset was a little different than mine. You know, I went to the ballpark at 3 o'clock because I was supposed to go to the ballpark at 3 o'clock. They went to the ballpark at 3 o'clock because they were going to do their job. And I'm like, oh, man, okay. You know, this is this is a different this is a different thing for me. And, and, and as it... My time went through, especially in 04 with, with Soup and Carp and, and, you know, Matt Moore and the, all these guys. We were all about the same age. After the 04, when we got swept by the Red Sox, I told my wife after that that in the offseason, I said, I'm never going to win a World Series because I can't play on a better team than that talent-wise and certainly a more cohesive team. Like, that, that's as good a group inside the group as, as you can possibly have. And we got killed. And uh, we come back in 06 and, you know, it, it – Changed my mind about a lot of things. We got hot. We kind of backed in and we got hot and kind of ran the table. And it was it was pretty impressive. What an impressive man and what an impressive player and a deserving Hall of Famer. I'm glad that he got voted. I'm really, really glad. Obviously, I'm glad. But I'm, I'm really glad that he got voted in because it was his sixth time on the ballot. And he is the first guy to have 10% on his first shot and then wind up making it to the Hall of Fame. What do you think changed? I, th- I think people just started to take a closer look at his career. And he was kind of overshadowed here. I mean, you come into a team that ultimately, when, in 04, he came in 02. But you've got Albert on the team, Hall of Famer. You've mm-hmm. got Yachty on the team, Hall of Famer. You've got, you get Larry Walker, Hall of Famer. And then Tony is the manager. And he was part of the MV3. And even though he was as good a player as Jim Edmonds, Jim Edmonds was just more spectacular. Roland was so steady, I think it did him a disservice. And he, he was just so good, and he was kind of like a metronome, kind of like Goldie. You just know what you're going to get all the time. And I don't think that, that was really appreciated. But then you look at the overall numbers and say, okay, let's compare this to other third basemen in history. One of the top two or three third basemen in the history of the game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it seems like it was a, a long time coming. As you mentioned, six tries for him to get in. And... It was, it was it Tom yesterday that he thought either he was going to get in or it was going to be a shutout. Yeah, right. And, and so, he was right. Tom yeah, he was right. 100% right. I think one thing that I was a little bit surprised about, just kind of taking a deeper dive into this, is how similar some of his numbers were to, say, a Keith Hernandez, mm-hmm. who still hasn't got it in. And Keith Hernandez had, you know, some bigger titles, different things like that. Were you surprised by that, too, that Keith Hernandez still isn't in? I think it'll take Keith Hernandez to get voted in by one of the committees mm-hmm. because people, uh, writers that vote on this thing don't really, for the most part, I won't, no, not for the most part, many of them don't understand nuance or pay attention to circumstance. Keith Hernandez was in a place where you could not hit a home run. And a lot of the people that vote on this look at home runs. If Keith Hernandez would have played in Atlanta or Philadelphia, He'd be in the Hall of Fame right now because a lot of those doubles that he hit wound up 
uh, would have been home runs in other ballparks. And I don't think that people look at that nuance. But like Ozzie, best defensive shortstop of all time, Keith was the best defensive first baseman of all time. And there's very little debate about that. So he should be in the Hall of Fame. Also, another thing that just listening to that sound last night, it was Bob Costas that asked this to Scott Rowland is which hat will be on his plaque? And he said that he's still debating between, right, the Cardinals and Phillies. What are your thoughts on that? I think he became a Hall of Famer in St. Louis. I think that he's going to let the Hall of Fame choose, and I believe the Hall of Fame will choose the STL. I won't be offended if they choose Philadelphia, but his best years were here. He won the world championship here. I think that St. Louis makes the most sense. But if you can just blame the Hall of Fame and not tick off the people in Philadelphia, <laughs> say, hey, IS Hall of Fame, they recommended St. Louis. That's all you have to do. That's not, that sounds a little bit easier, right? Now, here's the other thing. He's in the Hall of Fame now. He's a Hall of Fame Cardinal. If he goes in with the STL on his cap, does Tyler O'Neill lose number 27? Does number 20... It, Cardinals retire the numbers of their Hall of Famers. You grandfathered in. You, you, yeah. always, grand, you always grandfather in people who are always wear, who are when, wearing it, right? With... When Ann Keel, yeah, I guess he did wear twenty. Because they, I mean, yeah, I mean, just like 24. I mean, the, the general Jackie Robinson retirement, they grandfathered Mariano, right, right. Mariano in. Yeah, but the Cardinals have not done like when Tony, uh, when number ten was retired, they just took it out of circulation. Wow. Yeah, Who's I think that happened with Ted Simmons a few years ago too. I don't know if I don't remember if somebody was wearing number twenty three or not. But anyway, they just might ask Tyler O'Neill to change. I could see Tyler O'Neill being completely fine with that, too. Yeah. Just because he respects Cardinals history so much and respects what Roland means to the game. I could see if, him if, doing you that. You know what? I, I He can take another Cardinal slugger number. Just just t- drop that, too. Yeah, I'm with you. Oh, yep. he'd look so good in a seven. <laughs> yeah, he would. He, and, and trust, I'm so used to the, se- to the seven Mantle. jersey looking like it's about to be burst by the biceps anyhow. You know, I got right. used to that with, yeah. with with Holiday. So, I mean, I think it's a perfect fit. Just drop the two. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So, we're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, it is Wednesday. It is hump day, and that means it's Ask Uncle Randy Day. And not only do we have Uncle Randy, but we have the added bonus of having cousin Brooke here. So if you have any questions, Valentine's Day is coming up, guys. And I can give you some advice. I, I can. I, I, I've been around, you know. And we, we might even hear that before the whole uh, segment starts. But Ask Uncle Randy is coming up. 314-399-9646. That's 314-399-YOHO! That's the Air Comfort Service text line. And we need your questions for Uncle Randy next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. All right, time for Ask Uncle Randy. Matthew has uh, your questions. Brooke, if uh, she has any texts that she likes. By the way, we do have an email address, too. If you uh, ever come up with an Ask Uncle Randy question for us, heck, I might even answer your email. And all you need to do is send it to askuncleRandy at 101ESPN.com. But, Matthew, what do we got right now? What do people want to know about? You're a very versatile helper, and I appreciate that, Randy. Dear Uncle Randy, because of the weather, my wife doesn't have to go to work until 10 a.m. Good thing. She's in the kitchen, family and her drinking coffee and watching the Hallmark Channel, and I am unable to listen to the morning drive show like I usually do. What should I do? I have cheesecakes to bake, and I am missing my favorite radio show. Well, we definitely appreciate that. However, if your wife has an hour or so, we're here every day. We're here, what, 5, 10, 15 hours a week, right? We're here every day. Yes, 
And we have a podcast brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center that you can listen to at 101ESPN.com or on the 101ESPN app. I would say that because your wife has that rare morning off, provide her the joy of drinking coffee and watching the Hallmark Channel. I think that's a good thing. And uh, sacrificing a little bit of time for us, it's okay. And by the way, love cheesecake, cheesecake devotee. And I hope that uh, as the Hallmark Channel plays their, uh, who's the uh, the star of the Hallmark Channel? What's her name? Um, oh God, I have no uh, Lacey idea. Lacey Chabert, Lacey Chabert. Oh, okay. I hope it's a Lacey Chabert show. And I hope that uh, you're able to make just stellar cheesecakes today throughout the course of watching the Hallmark Channel. I have to say, I haven't watched a Hallmark movie. Am I missing you out? Will. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, it's, it's first of all, it's they've got like four plots, uh, but <laughs> normally the, and, and there's hundreds, and they just rotate hundreds, them. Yeah, hundreds of variations of the plot where, oh. like one of them is very successful young woman uh, has to come home to her small hometown, mm. plans on going back to her successful job in New York, Chicago, San Francisco, L.A. But falls in love with a high school sweetheart. Somehow along the line, she sees him hugging his former girlfriend, goes back, (laughs) but it's really not serious. And then he has to go bring her back to her small town and they fall in love and wind up in the small town. That's one of the the three or four plots that they have on Hallmark. But yes, it is an enjoyable and kind of a mindless experience. So they just steal Sweet Home Alabama's plot, essentially. Maybe Sweet Alabama stole theirs. Yeah, but yeah, there's yeah, there's like essentially three or four plots, but it's fun. Did you hear about the, the kind of controversy that hit for the Christmas movies this year with Hallmark or, or with like uh, Netflix and Hallmark? No. They released two movies that were the exact same movie, but they changed no the title slightly and they changed a couple shots and they colored a couple things in the movies differently to make it seem like it was different yeah. movies, but it was the same two actresses playing essentially the same people with the same plot but they just shot it slightly different so that they had two movies to release. I'm fine with that. Big it's, deal. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. I, have a pro- I have a slight problem with it. I have a slight problem with it. It's a little yeah. disingenuous, but also I have to respect the hustle. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, like, can you imagine Can you imagine if like we did an interview with like Bob Costas and like the very mm-hmm. next day just played it that next day? Just like, just like yeah, we're not going to come in today. We're just going to play that like four times in a row. Yep. It's essentially that's what it is. Well, and here's the other thing about they Hallmark. They phoned it in. Is... Pretty much all of their performers are really attractive people. So women are attracted to the the men, generally hunks, on the Hallmark movie. And guys are generally attracted to the women. So that works out, too. So they're really, the plot doesn't have to be spectacular. So you're telling this texter, just enjoy the Hallmark en- movie. Enjoy the, yeah. Hallmark, enjoy the movie Hallmark movie for an hour or two. Yeah. Also, like... Someone in your household has to have an earphone. That's it. No, an no, earbud that you can that you can connect to your phone and listen to the opening drive this morning in your well, ear while your wife watches yeah, her, her, yeah, her television. You need that. You could do that. Put some earbuds in. Yeah. But at the end of the day, earbuds. bottom line, happy wife, happy life. There Good we point. go. Yeah. Uncle Randy, I kind of dropped the ball on Christmas and got my wife an album filled with our pictures, which we do not have. Which we did not have yet. Should I get her something for Valentine's Day? We haven't celebrated in the past, and I don't think I want to create a precedent. You should create a precedent. Uh, Brooke, you are the female here. For my entire existence, Valentine's Day has been a gift-giving occasion. 
Uh, you would absolutely drop the ball if you don't just start with flowers and or candy. But from the female perspective, somebody who's engaged, what are your expectations? I, I think it just depends. I, I think at least showing the effort is the biggest thing, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't matter if it's like a huge grand gift or if you cook her dinner or go to a restaurant, but just showing the effort, I promise you, will mean the most to her. Right. And okay, you drop the ball. That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Just surprise her. Don't say, you know, maybe don't lead her on to believe like, okay, yes, I have a restaurant reservation. Just completely surprise her. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you they'll make up for everything where she's like, wow, he really has been working hard on this Valentine's Day. That's why maybe he kind of missed out on that. Christmas. And here's the thing, Matthew, where's this uh, text from? What area code? 314. Okay, Mr. 314. You have two days that are locks, okay, all year. You've got Valentine's Day and you've got your birthday. That's what I'm saying. Do not mess one of those two days up, okay? Because you don't want to cut it down to one day. There, you, you have two days of the whole year that are locks. So I'm just saying, take advantage of the, the romantic opportunities. Yeah, just surprise her. Because mm-hmm. here's the other thing, too, that just from a female perspective is – they don't like when you ask, you know, like when they have to be told, like you have to go to her and be like, well, what do you want for Valentine's right. Day? Surprise her. Even if it's maybe not necessarily the thing that she is expecting, just surprise her with anything. Flowers, dinner, maybe all of that would be great. Yeah. I think that that would be the way to go. Okay. Yeah. I just love that somebody's texting us in 2023 and saying, I don't really want to set the precedent that I have to get her gifts on no, Valentine's Day. Yeah. It's like, buddy, I'm sorry, you're fighting, you're you're losing a hundred year war on at this yeah, point, my man. It's the effort. Like, it's the effort the, behind there's, it. There's an entire you know, there's billions of dollars of industry that are fighting against you, my friend. Oh. You're going to lose this one. Oh, by the way, one other point. It's January 25th. Dinner reservations today Gentlemen, today, gentlemen, because you don't want to get to February 7th and be trying to make Valentine's Day dinner reservations. I used to work in the restaurant industry, and I have to tell you that that was the funniest thing ever Mm -hmm. is those last minute. Just you could just hear the fear in their voice of like, do you have anything available? Yeah. Anything available for February 14th, please? Or at least around that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no. Yeah. Not really. No. No. No, I do not. Dear Uncle Randy, my girlfriend wants to take an expatriate assignment in Germany. I have a suspicion she might be cheating. (laughs) Is it fair if I get revenge by breaking up and moving out after she leaves? She's expecting me to watch our house that we rent in her name only. What? Good Lord! What? Okay, so you suspect with no real concrete evidence that this young lady is cheating. She wants to do good things for the world by taking an expatriate position in Germany, I would do a little. Well, you know what? You're, you've got a foot out the door. It, uh, but yeah, don't do it right, this okay? You, this is not going to work. This relationship is not going to work. Don't do that to her. Don't get revenge for something that you don't even know is happening. Just tell her. I go back to ripping the bandaid off, right? Tell her it's not going to work. If you have those suspicions now, it's not going to work for you anyway. So, uh, she, the house is in her name. Get your place and get out of it. I, it sounds to me there has to be a little bit more of a backstory, mm-hmm. right? Has she done this before when she takes these trips? Is that what's going on here? Because maybe that's just, why you're, just, you feel a little bit scorned I, by I, it. Fly on the plate. No one, no one goes to a different country to, to cheat on somebody. Well, 
You can ask my ex-boyfriend about that. That is, a, yeah. That is, <laughs> there we go. We've got. See, we've got experience. But my, my whole thing is usually that's not the only instance. <laughs> I'm, is my point is like like is there other cheating in the past that you've overlooked and now you think this is like another instance that she's like not being truthful about? <laughs> that's because what if, I'm if, saying. If, yeah, there has like, to be some type of oof, past, or oof, he has a little bit of a guilty a guilty conscience mm. and is like. Eh, I'm already kind of on the fence, as you mentioned, one foot out the door, and this is the final yeah, straw. Right. Yeah, it's it's just not going to work, so don't don't be mean to her. Just get it over with. All right, let's get one more. Relationship's all about trust, my friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, Randy, hey there, Uncle Randy. I'm surprised Scott Rowland was nominated for the Hall of Fame. His overall stats fall way short. A very good player, but not great, like you say over and over. This Hall of Fame is really getting watered down with the latest inductees. I believe, and Brooke, you brought up yesterday to Tom Verducci, the the dearth of third baseman in baseball. And if you look from basically when he came up, 1997 till 2007, Scott Rowland was the best third baseman in the game. If you take his cumulative numbers, well, let's go till 2005, till he got hurt. Okay, so 97 to 05. He was the best guy. He's one of the three best defensive third basemen in the history of the game. It's Brooke Robinson. Uh, Let's say four. Brooks Robinson, Mike Schmidt, Scott Rowland, Nolan Arenado. Those are the four best defensive third basemen in the history of the game. He hit for power. He definitely put together offensive seasons and an offensive career worthy of the Hall of Fame. I don't know what you're looking at to think that he's not a Hall of Famer, unless you're one of those people that thinks there should only be like 10 people in the Hall. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you on that one, too. To me, it seems like this was an obvious thing for him to Mm -hmm. get into the Hall of Fame. I feel like the voters got it right on this one as well. And he kind of just barely got the amount Mm -hmm. of votes that he needed to get in as well. It seems like it was for a good reason. And you look at everything, you compare. I mean, when it comes to all the other third basemen, he is one of the best of the best. Yeah. And that's kind of the way I look at the Hall of Fame. If a guy for a slice of history, a five, six, seven year slice of history was the best guy, then I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. My qualifications, I know, are different than a lot of other people's, but those are my qualifications. And if I had a vote, I would have voted for Scott Rowland. I I do understand, though, a little bit. And I've seen some of the frustrations with people be like, "Okay, well, what about this person, that person? Because it seems that there have been many really talented players who have been overlooked for this. And we mentioned that yesterday. There's plenty of Cardinals greats who've been overlooked as well. So that discussion continues. Maybe they like that kind of attention around it. I don't know. It, it seems like there's always, well, this person should have gotten in. I, I We were talking about Keith Hernandez, right? That's a, a perfect example. Tom For, Helton, even. Uh, that yeah, was, that was right. kind of surprising. He, Helton I, was great. And think about how long it took Fred McGriff. And I was at a, an event with Ozzy over the weekend. Ted Simmons, Fred McGriff. If you watch those guys play, mm-hmm. you knew they were Hall of Famers. And it's actually, I think, probably a negative for the process that those guys didn't get voted in yes. and had to wait such a long time. Todd Helton, you're exactly right. He's a Hall of Famer. And now we're seeing now, look look at Nolan Arenado. He would have been penalized if he would have had to play his whole career in Colorado. People penalize. Yes, exactly. Right. 100% that that was a factor. Now, will he likely get in next year? Yeah, 100%. But I think that I saw that as well, is that it seems like the fact that he played in Colorado worked against mm-hmm. 
in this voting situation. Yeah, and some people just don't respect the closer position, for example. Billy Wagner, best left-handed closer of all time. I think Andrew, jo- I think both Andrew Jones and Jim Edmonds are Hall of Famers and, and should be in. So uh, that's what makes it great, is that we can have that sort of a debate about it this morning. That's Brooke. I'm Randy. Matthew, thank you very much for the Ask Uncle Randy questions. Coming up, what's the future hold for Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers? It's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Texted with Kerry Davis last night. He's having fun out in L.A. at the NFLPA All-Star Game. Brooke Grimsley is in for CD. And 101 ESPN's Championship Bash is this Sunday at Helen Fitzgerald's. The whole 101 ESPN crew will be there along with Car Shield, Bud Light, and David Taylor Ellisville for the AFC and NFC Championship Games. Enjoy tons of TVs to watch the games, food and drinks, music, a bunch of giveaways throughout the day and more. The Bash kicks off with a live pregame show at 11 a.m. Hope to see you Sunday at Helen Fitzgerald's for the Championship Bash brought to you by Car Shield, Bud Light, and David Taylor Dodge Jeep Ram in Ellisville. And as the playoffs continue at this time of year. We also have to talk about the future of the old quarterbacks. And even though the regular season is over, Tom Brady is still performing his podcast with Jim Gray. And here is one of the exchanges from Monday night. Tom, you're leaving everybody guessing. Uh, You said you'll take your time. Do you have any type of a timetable as to what you might want to do uh, regarding your football career? Jim, if I knew what I was going to fucking do, I'd have already done it. Okay, I'm taking it a day at a time. He's an angry elf. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is it, I thought it was a f- obviously a fair enough question. He yeah. and he didn't say, "Give me an answer right now." He said, "A timetable, a mm-hmm. timetable on any sort of decision." I, I don't know what that says about Tom Brady and how he feels about his future. Here's I, what it says, Brooke. It, it's easy. He retired last year, came back, and it blew up his family. So he's mad about it. Yeah, I would say that he sounds pretty mad about it, yeah. actually. Yeah. I And look, like, it, it's been a whole debacle for him, press-wise. You, as you mentioned, blow up your family with your supermodel wife. That whole debacle plays out publicly, and you don't have a great season on top of that. Mm-hmm. Or at least a season that goes further than you would expect Tom Brady to go. And so, yeah, you could sense the frustration that he has. And I'm sure he gets tired of the constant. And I've seen him, too. I don't know if you've seen some of the videos when the Bucks were still playing of people asking him over and over again, are you still going to play? You're going to mm-hmm. retire? What's next? And you could tell how frustrated he is with that question. So, but it's a fair question. It's a very fair question. So Brady goes all Boston on us. And Aaron, <laughs> Aaron Rodgers is asked about this with Pat McAfee, and he, he's chill. It's like he's on psychedelics. I'm, I'm open to all honest and direct conversation. And if, if they felt like it was in the best interest of the team to move forward, so be it. You know, that doesn't, that, again, that doesn't, that wouldn't offend me. That wouldn't, uh, you know, make me feel like a victim. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have any animosity towards the team. I love the team. I love the organization. I love the city. I love the region. You know, I'm a minority owner in the Bucks. Like I'm going to be a part of the region long after I'm done playing. Like I have. I have a lot of love. Uh, a lot of love for what's going on in Green Bay, and I'd love to finish there. I would, and and uh, I might have finished there. You know, who knows? But uh, when I talk about my future, I don't talk in any cryptic terms. You know, I, I'm pretty direct about how I feel and. I am taking time with my decision, and I am, you know, not, you know, egomaniacal in a sense to think that, 
you know, I should be able to play wherever I want as long as I want. There's two sides to this. Brooke, denial is more than just a river in Egypt. <laughs> okay? and the guy has been extraordinarily cryptic and extraordinarily egotistical. By the way, he's earned the ego. He's one of the all-time greats. He's a Hall of Famer. He's great. But pretty disingenuous of him to say those things. And oh, by the way, also mentioned that the Packers did indeed draft his replacement. Maybe it's all the ayahuasca. He seems he does seem self-aware. Also, you can tell that this man has been hardened by negotiations. He knows the right things to say because mm-hmm. he didn't give you. He said a lot, but he didn't give you a lot. He didn't say if he's retiring. He didn't say if he's returning. He didn't say exactly that he's going to look elsewhere. He kind of said all three of those things. Right. And here's the thing is in this situation, he has the ultimate hammer against the Packers. The Packers, I mean, if they... He has what? Is it sixty million guaranteed? Almost sixty million right, yeah. for twenty twenty three. They need to trade him, or either they're going to work on something else. And he even mentioned right that he wants to possibly look at reworking this deal with the Packers. But also, he's very self aware to know that hey, my replacement's right there in Jordan mm-hmm. Love. But he even mentioned he knows he holds the power. They can't exactly just turn the page to him and. You can tell that he's very aware of that and wants the Packers to know, I still hold the cards here. And one of the things that both of these quarterbacks have going for them now is that, like when John Elway retired, he said, I still think I can do this physically, but I just don't have the mental capacity to go through an offseason preparing for a season anymore. These guys don't have to worry about that. They can just take the entire offseason off. They don't have to go to offseason programs. They don't have to go to mini camps. They just show up in training camp, and two games into the season, they're still the best quarterback in the league. I don't think there is a lot of mental pressure on quarterbacks now like the other ones used to talk about. So I think that Aaron Rodgers can go down the line here, let the Packers hang. I think that Tom Brady, if he wants to sign with the Raiders on the first day of training camp, so be it. Fine. He'll be one of the best guys in the game. So I do think that it's easy for these guys to take this approach. And it is, like you say, they they talk a lot. They don't say a lot. I do think that for their public and their fans, at least they're getting their voice out there. And that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I, and you mentioned Tom Brady to the Raiders. I saw it was ESPN's Jeremy Fowler wrote a column saying that the Raiders believe that they are in the running for Tom Brady right signing with him and the Raiders are one of about three teams Brady would be opening to joining according to that report as well and he has familiarity with Josh McDaniels obviously the offensive coordinator that he's worked with in the past to me that makes sense Brady going yeah, to the Raiders it completely makes sense to me right unless he can find another coach that'll give him the freedom to run the offense because McDaniels knows how it works with Brady. Exactly. He's going to need somebody that will give him the freedom to essentially be the offensive coordinator. And it seems like the the best spot. That's Brooke. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it is coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Want to say something? We'll put it out there. If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. Get your text into 314-399-9646 and give us your Take It or Leave It. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final author. Take it or leave it. Oh. 
Brooke Grimsley and Matthew Rocchio. I'm Randy Carricker. It is the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. Brooke Scott Rowland makes it to the Hall of Fame. He will be in the class of 2023, and the Cardinals will replenish their stock of Hall of Famers. By the way, since 1909, every single year since 1909, the St. Louis Cardinals have had at least one Hall of Famer on the field, which is a pretty incredible statistic. No other team in baseball can say that. But take it or leave it, by the end of 2030, Pujols, Molina, and Wainwright will join Scott Rowland in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, end of 2030. I I was with you on the Pujols and Yachty portion. Mm-hmm. But then when you added Wainwright, nothing against Wainwright, but having all three of those in by 2030... Seems a little bit of a stretch, just to me. That's why I put it, take it or leave it. So you're going to leave it. I'm going to leave it. I think this is a big year for Adam. I think if he can have one more really solid year, and I think wins are a big thing for him at his age. I think if he can get well beyond 200 wins, it'd help if he could get to another postseason. I think there's a chance for Wayno when you compare his overall numbers to some people that are competitive for Hall of Fame spots. I'm actually going to leave it too, but I think there's, I don't think that the chances are nil for Adam Wainwright. No, I don't think so either. I just think that with, and look, Wayno has even said this before, right? That Albert and Yachty are first ballot Hall of Famers. Those guys are shoe-ins, essentially. And I think Wayno would be realistic about it too, that it would take a little bit longer. And it is dependent on how this final season goes for him as well too. Absolutely. Yeah, he cannot have a, a Bob Gibson-esque last season. He doesn't have the cachet that Bob built up to have a bad last season. Yes. Okay. Take it or leave it. Aaron Rodgers will retire after this season. Brooke, I am going to leave that. He wants to go whale watching. He loves... I don't know if you listened to everything with the Pat McAfee Mm -hmm. interview. He said he learned a lot by whale watching. He can do that during the offseason. Here's the thing. He had, was it Olivia Munn as a girlfriend or Olivia Wilde? Which one? Which uh, Olivia, Olivia Munn. Munn. Okay, so yeah. Olivia Munn. There's a lot Danica of Danica Patrick. Last I heard, he was dating a witch. He is. I don't think that you, and I'm sure she denies it. No, for, he's. Forget denying it. He's dating, um. Uh, is the, is no, the witch it, out the window? She's out the window. She's mad because he's dating Mallory Eden, the um, okay. daughter of the, uh, there was some relation. It's either daughter or sister of the Bucks owners. Oh, yeah, okay. Mal- yeah. So, Mallory Eden's like uh, is a relation. I so can't they can it both is. both afford afford to retire, but I think that uh, <laughs> I, I think Aaron Rodgers is too impatient to be retired. I think that he needs that ego boost of playing football and being a professional athlete. So I'm going to leave it. I, I think they're going to have to rip the jersey off of him, and he's going to be a guy that. Somebody's going to have to not sign him. I really think that that's the way it's going to go with him. That'd be such a bad ending, though, to it his would. career. Wes Edens is the co-owner, co-owner of the Bucks. His daughter, and Mallory so Edens, is. Okay. Um, and, and also, here's the thing. wonder how they met. That's also, here's the, yeah, he, and Roger said it there. He's a part owner of the Bucks, mm-hmm. so he's dating one of his colleagues' daughter? Yeah, that happens. All right. Okay. What do we have on the old text line? The text line is 314-399-9646. Uh, take it or leave. That's a bad idea for Aaron Rodgers. 
I don't believe I, that. He's how many people has he dated? That's what, that's what I'm saying. This is a he lot. doesn't he doesn't break up clean. Now with his family, now with his girlfriends. I'm just saying that you do you want to piss off the guy who's the higher up of your ownership group? Who cares? I forgot that he doesn't even talk to his family. Does he still not talk to his family? Doesn't talk to his family. Because his brother does stuff for the SEC mm-hmm. network, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that's why Aaron, that's why that's why we actually put the kibosh on Aaron Rodgers going to the Titans. Because why would he? He have to he, talk he, to Jordan. Oh, he have to talk to Jordan again. I have a feeling that Aaron Rodgers is really good at ignoring people. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> I don't he know can find more people problem. to date in Nashville too. That's true. That is very true. (laughs) (laughs) Take it or leave it. Colton Prego looks a little lost out there last night with that minus four. Yeah, I'll take it. You know, he's the nicest guy in the world, right? We all know that. He's the nicest guy in the world. But maybe it would be a good thing for him to just take a seat for a while, a couple of games, and just hit the reset button. Play Callie Rosen. I mean, what do you got to lose, right? The guy was... He was minus four on their first four goals last night. Yeah, uh, Callie Rosen has been fantastic, too. He deserves more minutes, and Pareko deserved less minutes. I thought Baruby made the right move with reducing Pareko's time so that he gets the message that this is not good enough. Also, I mean, it was Pareko that led to that Tage Thompson goal as well. He does look lost out there, and I don't know if it's just he's had a lot of injuries, right? We, We know about all that. I don't know if he's just... Still kind of, you know how your body, once you get injured, still kind of isn't mm-hmm. fully adjusted and it seems like you're maybe holding back a little bit because of fear of getting hurt again. I don't know if it's that or what it is, but he's just not that big, physical, mean guy that yeah. you would hope he would be with his height. I hope it's that. I, I hope he's hurt. Because if he's not hurt and this is the performance you're getting, then you got a real Well, problem. and that's what we thought, right? Going to the season is mm-hmm. finally this is a fully healthy Colton yeah. Pareko. Yeah, no doubt. Let's get one more. Uh, take it or leave it. The Blues' eight-game losing streak early in the season will be their death toll, death knoll. Should they not make the playoffs? Yeah, I'll take that. I'm going to take that too. I mean, they I, literally they have even discussed that as well. It was just such a bad losing streak for them, mm-hmm. and it seems like no matter how much they try to fight back, claw their way back, that's still just looming over them. Those mistakes from that eight-game losing streak is what's holding them back. If, if they had played 500 in those games, if you had four wins and four losses, then you would be uh, 27 and 18, and you would have, obviously, uh, 16 more points, right? So, uh, yeah, you'd you'd be comfortably into the playoffs if you just go four and four during those eight games. I'm going to leave it only because they've just played so bad in so many of these losses that it's not, I, I just... I just don't think they're a playoff team. If they're going to do what they did against the Blackhawks, they're going to do what they did against the Sabers. Then I just don't know if they're if they were going to be able to keep up a 500 pace for the rest of the season. If this is what the defense is going to be the rest of the year. Yeah. Well, yeah. If Pareko was playing a little bit better at this point in the season, that I would say, yeah, they can they could probably mm-hmm. do a little bit better. But it seems like whatever is going on defensively with that core group is just not it's not working out. It seems like the the essence of dysfunction. It's just not functioning well. And when it doesn't function well, you call it dysfunction. Yes. And it seems like that's what it is. There's no fun in this dysfunction. One no, big dysfunctional family. That's exactly right. That is Brooke. Thank you, Matthew. You Coming up here on 101 ESPN, more about Colton Pareko and the Blues defense. And what do we do here for the last part of the season? That's next on 101 ESPN. 
back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Take. Brought to you by Schnucks Rewards. Reward yourself. Earn 2% back on every purchase with the Schnucks Rewards app. He's played a lot of good hockey here over the years, so I'm sure that he's going to get back to that. 8.05 in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It is the opening drive. Brooke Grimsley and for Kerry Davis and Randy Carricker. That was the head coach of your St. Louis Blues, the chief, Craig Berube. And he was asked whether or not Colton Pareko be, can become more assertive. And yes, Colton Pareko has played a lot of good hockey for the Blues over the years, and he's played hurt. Right now, though, Brooke... He has played in 45 games. He's averaged 23-23 of ice time per game. And right now, he's a minus 19. The only Blues with a worse plus-minus rating than Colton Pareko are all forwards. Jordan Cairo, Braden Shen, and Ryan O'Reilly. Tori Krug, by the way, tied with Pareko at minus 19. But the Blues have a, a lot of pressing issues. One of them seems to be, though, the guy that leads them in plus-minus, Callie Rosen, plus 13. He sat last night. Colton Pareko is a minus 19, and that was, by the way, after a minus 4 last night. He was on the ice for the first four Buffalo goals, all even strength. But as much ability as Colton Pareko has, the production isn't there. And I tried to have tried personally to give him a lot of rope and give him the benefit of the doubt, clearly. Craig Bruby says he's played a lot of good hockey for us over the years. The Blues have tried to give him the benefit of the doubt, but it seems like we've reached a point, whether or not he's hurt or there is a, a mental issue on the ice, it seems to me that the best thing for the Blues to do would be to sit Colton Pareko for a little while. No, I, I 100% agree. And I here's the thing is, Callie Rosen deserved to be in that game last night. But I almost wonder, and this is just pure speculation, if Barubi was trying to prove a point about how big of an asset Callie Rosen is, and when he's not on the ice, how much it affects the Blues. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that he's purposely tanking games or anything like that, but I think that it was kind of to show the whole Blues team, especially the defensive group, you're relying so much on Callie Rosen. Rosen's the only one who's really stepping up. Look what it's like without him. And Brooke. so that it's a very glaring, clear issue. Because Pareko, whatever is going on with him right now, it's not working out. I mean, it led to that Tage Thompson goal. Mm-hmm. And he gets caught puck watching a lot. A yeah, lot. Yeah. He's not a threat. And you even see that with a lot of the teams that come in. They're crashing the net. They know that there's not really anybody that's protecting the goaltenders. Jordan Bennington and Thomas Grice can be fantastic, be brick walls all night long. But when you have teams crashing the net Mm -hmm. and nobody there defending, you can't protect that. You can't make all those saves. The reason that I was laughing is because when you said what you did, it reminded me of something. The 2003 Cardinals were not good. They, were, they had a bad bullpen. And during the season, Walt Jockety brought in a couple of relief pitchers, Esteban Yan and Pedro Borbon Jr. They both sucked. <laughs> Pedro Borbon Jr. had a 20.25 ERA. Esteban Yan pitched in 39 games with a 6.02 ERA. And I remember distinctly, it was a game against the Cubs. It might have even been the weekend of the Three Nights in August book. But Tony, it was during the summer. It was during August, definitely. Tony goes out to the mound brings in Esteban Yan, 
And as he's walking from the mound back to his spot in the dugout, he looks up to Walt Jockety's box. And it was almost like, okay, this is what you're going to give me. You're going to see him. And it's kind of like that. You're right. I, I feel that way because I don't think there's any doubt. Is Callie Rosen the Blues' most accomplished defenseman? No. Is he physically the most gifted defenseman? No. But is he the most steady this year in the 2022-2023 season? No question about it. I, I agree with you 100%. That could absolutely be the case. It says, hey, you know, you're going to give me all these other high-priced guys? Fine. Watch them. Watch them play. And so Callie Rosen has to sit. Now, Bruby was asked a lot about Colton Braco last night because, obviously, Colton did struggle to the point where, in about the middle of the second period, Bruby demoted him. Did not have a good game. Tentative. You know, it seems like it's a little bit tentative and uh, just not assertive enough, not assertive enough, assertive enough with the puck. And it seems like not only is he not assertive enough, but the, the quality of play in my opinion, is really inconsistent. Well, it's not all the time, but I mean, he's definitely had not had the year that we expect him to have or he expects. So I wonder how you solve this problem. That's a great question. Can I throw one point yes. in? And this is, talk about maybe an unsolvable problem. Colton Preko was at his best when he was playing with Jay Bomeister and Larry Robinson was on the bench. Yes, 100%. Jay Bomeister and I think it was Panger that even touched on this yesterday. Losing Bomeister definitely affected the Blues. I think it affected Pareko, and it seems like they've tried to find any sort of replacement that works the way that that worked with Pareko and Bomeister because that obviously worked out well mm-hmm. for the Blues Stanley Cup run. We saw what happened there. It, it's just hard to figure out what exactly is going on with Colton Pareko now. I see a lot of people saying, why did he get that contract? I think that they thought that he would rise to the occasion a little bit more. And Baruby even hinted at that. Like, yes, we're, we weren't, this isn't the year that we were expecting from Colton Pareko. And I think people were hoping that he would rise to the occasion. Now, look at and, like Robert look, Thomas look, and Cairo. Yeah, I, I want to try to answer that question because remember, Pareko was the best defenseman in the league during the playoffs in 2019. Yes. Okay. You come back prior to the pandemic, he's playing with Bo Meester. And he was among the best guys in the league. You were signing him. You aren't signing him based on the last couple of years. You were signing him on what you believe, what you saw with your own eyes during 2018, 2019, 2019, 2020. And remember, Bo Meester got, he, he suffered his heart issue right before the pandemic hit. But they brought in Scandella to play with Colton and Colton was still fine. They signed Colton Pareko based on him being great for essentially a year and a half period of time. If they were going to give him that contract now, we could criticize. But that that was a different Colton Pareko in a different time when they gave him that deal. 100%. And I think that they factored in, okay, you you have the injuries as well. He was getting healthy. As I mentioned, I think that we were hoping that we were going to finally see a fully healthy Colton Pareko. Now, here's the problem that the Blues have is how do you replace those minutes? Now, I know that he was demoted, obviously, in the second period, his minutes reduced, but still a lot of ice time for him out there. I think around 16 minutes is what he finished with for the game last night. Um, How do you replace those minutes? Do I think that Callie Rosen is a top four defenseman? I don't think so. No, so you're going to have to go do something. I feel like at this point, you're going to have to go get a top four defenseman. And those are hard to find. Yes. Those are <laughs> not easy guys to find. 
By the way, Bruby was asked one more question about the fourth goal that you referred to, the Tage Thompson goal, early in the second period. Example on that on the fourth goal, just taking care of the puck better. Yes, putting it in deep. It, and that's one thing that uh, here's another guy that he probably misses. Bob Plager used to preach that all the time. Just get the puck out of your zone, chip it off the boards, get it in deep. And Bob Plager would always ask himself after games. Did I do anything to cause my team to lose the game? It's not the rush. It's not getting involved with the rush. It's not scoring goals. Did I do anything to cause my team to lose the game? That simplifies things. You you let the clock be your coach. You chip the puck off the glass. You don't try to make a pass in front of the net. And maybe that's the approach. It's a really conservative approach, but maybe that's the approach that Colton Pareko needs to take, even though he's making $6.5 million a year. Well, and here we are. We're about to approach the All-Star break, and you would hope that by now this Blues group would have some sort of identity, right? Because Mm -hmm. what has the identity been in recent years? That they're a very physical team, aggressive, and also protects home ice. Right. 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 And right now you can tell that teams don't see them exactly as a Mm -hmm. legitimate threat coming into the home ice. And also in general, it seems like there's times where they are aggressive and then times where they just really back off. And as Bruby mentioned, just kind of tentative, not really aggressive, not going hard for the puck, more puck watching. And here we are. We're about to hit the all star break and they're still not an identity for this group. And the identity in the past was this being a very physical Four checking group. I don't see that right now. No. And specific to number 55, better find a way to fix it because he's signed with every penny guaranteed through the 29-30 season. For those of you that aren't paying attention, it's 2023 and he signed through 2030. That's Brooke. I'm Randy and that is today's Fresh Take here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, what about the players that didn't make the Hall of Fame? Who's got the best chance to make it in 24? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Well, he's not getting into his first year, and I think some of this is just a a reluctance just to check that box when the sign-stealing scandal of Houston is so fresh, and especially because Beltran's role in that was so prominent. You know, he was the only player mentioned in that report, active player on the Astros at the time. Beltran had just retired, so it was circumstantial that he happened to be the only one named, but... When you do read it, you understand that he was more than just a bystander or somebody who went along with this. Uh, he was very instrumental. In fact, the teammates, according to The Athletic, called him the godfather, that he wanted to really take charge of what was going. Remember, he played for the Yankees for three years. He gets there and he says, you guys are behind the times. And he comes up with a system to have the, the camera or at least the monitor close to the dugout. That's MLB Network's Tom Verducci joining us yesterday on 101 ESPN talking about the Hall of Fame viability of Carlos Beltran, who got 181 votes. He got 46.5% of the votes. By the way, you need 200 and needed 292 to be elected to the Hall of Fame. I wonder, Brooke, as the entire Astros situation starts to be digested through history, I wonder how much differently Carlos Beltran will be perceived by voters. Clearly, a lot of people didn't mind what happened, right? But how much different is 
a sign stealing scandal and using illegally stolen signs to succeed. How much different is that than taking steroids to enhance your performance? Oh, that's a tough one, right? I here's the thing is if they if they are instructed, right, to not take into account what's happened off the field, right? No, so, those are the football ones. Oh, those Foot, the football in, ones. in football, don't take into account what happens off the field. Baseball you can. There is a morality issue in baseball. And that's what's interesting to me is that Beltron did have so many supporters in the voting. I was actually surprised to see and you know, Tom even mentioned it, that he thought that that should be a pretty big factor into him getting into Cooperstown, right? Because it's something that greatly affected the game. And is it great that, you know, guys like A-Rod and stuff like that are associated with taking PEDs? No. But if or if everybody was around mm-hmm. that point, is that just kind of a right. level, easy You look at it the same way field. I do. Yeah, yeah. It, it levels the playing field. Specific to Carlos Beltran, we just heard all the negatives. But he was a great, great player, one of the great switch hitters of all time, and by all accounts, a spectacular teammate. Now, did he go to the Yankees and say, you guys are behind the times? Yes, but was he trying to help them? Yes, but he goes to Houston in 04, helps those individuals dramatically, Uh, goes to the Mets and helped guys out. After his Mets career, goes to the Giants down the stretch in 2010. And just in a couple of months there, helped some of their young players become a lot better. Did the same thing here in St. Louis. I had a nephew that was in the Yankees organization. And on a regular basis, every year, a couple of times, Beltran would take the entire group of minor leaguers, 140 young players, and rent out a restaurant and just go to talk to them individually about being a major leaguer, covering him, first-class guy. So with all of the positives that he did, are we going to zero in on this sign-stealing scandal to prevent him from being in the Hall of Fame. Clearly, 54% of the people that voted yesterday decided that A, he wasn't good enough, or B, the sign-stealing scandal was enough to keep him out of the Hall of Fame. Well, and Jason Stark of The Athletic even put out an article kind of coming to his defense in a way of saying that it seems like the voters did kind of bypass that, bypass the sign-stealing scandal and just looked at his overall numbers as a player and took that into account. And that's why he voted so well. I did find it interesting that he got better votes, it seems like a higher percentage voting-wise, than A-Rod. Yeah, A-Rod got 139 votes at 35.7. my question is, for, for the writers... I guess does that not matter as much to them when they're putting when they're voting and they're putting things into perspective is that the sign stealing scandal which led to a World Series mm-hmm. uh, is that not as important as PEDs? My personal opinion, I don't have a vote, never will have a vote, but mm-hmm. I for, think you should for, have a vote, Randy. Thank yes. you very much. Bob Costas should have one well before I would ever That's have a vote. That still just blows my mind every time you mention it. Yeah, it's ri- ridiculous that he doesn't have the ability to have one. But for, specific to Alex Rodriguez and Manny Ramirez, who finished side-by-side side in the voting, A-Rod with 139 votes, 35.7%, need 75 to get in. Manny with 129, got 33.2. I mentioned that I would vote for people like Bonds, McGuire, Clemens. However, once testing started, if you got suspended, you're out. And testing started in 2004. Both A-Rod and Manny got suspended for using performance-enhancing drugs when they were against the rules. 
Mark McGuire admitted that he used performance-enhancing drugs. There was no rule in baseball against them. He could have gone up. I've mentioned this before. On September 8th, 1998, he could have turned around to the home plate umpire before he hit number 62 and said, hey, by the way, I'm all jacked up on, on steroids. Umpire could have gone to Bud Selig, who was sitting in the stands, and said, hey, by the way, McGuire's all jacked up on steroids. Wouldn't have mattered. There was nothing they could do. There were no rules against it. Same with Bonds. Same with Clemens. So I feel differently about those guys than I do about A-Rod and Manny. Here's something that Lisa on the Air Comfort Service line just texted in. That's a good point that we brought up yesterday when we were talking about the Hall of Fame. The likability factor. Huge. Pete Rose? Well, I think Pete Rose would have been in. If if he would have been on the ballot, I think that Pete Rose would have gotten in. He was very likable as... A player, he, he he was instant offense for the media. Media loved him. But Jeff Kent, Jeff Kent, not a pleasant guy. Mm-hmm. Told people he wanted to leave baseball with no friends. He was a jerk. And was it uh, Verducci? Somebody told us yesterday that it's ridiculous that Jeff Kent isn't in the Hall of Fame. And he only got 46.5% of the votes. Uh, he and Beltron got the exact same amount. And that was Jeff Kent's last year on the ballot. And, and, and it was kind of the the offensive side of our Keith Hernandez thing was hit, which for Duke's mm-hmm. point about Jeff Kent was which is when you have those kind of offensive numbers at second base you are an outlier. And that right. was Verducci's thing. He's yeah. like, I look for arguably, outliers. Yep. Arguably the best defense, uh, offensive second baseman in history. But because he was a jerk, he didn't get in. That would have hurt. Barry still would have gotten in by well over 75%, but, but Barry was a jerk. Now, for the guys that didn't make it in, Todd Helton will make it in. Nobody's ever been that close, got 72.2% of the vote and not gotten in. He'll probably get in next year. I hope Billy Wagner does. In addition to, again, being a great guy, Billy Wagner got 68.1% of the votes. And like I told you earlier, I kind of put it into little eras. Was Billy Wagner the best at what he did for a period? He, number one, didn't have a great postseason resume. But was he the best left-handed closer in the history of the game? Yes. Was he the best closer in the game for a stretch of time? Yes, he was. And I also think that Andrew Jones should be in. He got 58.1% of the vote. I don't know if he'll ever ascend to the point where he's in. But here's the one thing about it. And we talk about who should be and who shouldn't. If Andrew Jones gets in, then how do you not put Jim Edmonds in? Mm, and yeah. Jim Edmonds fell off the ballot his first time. I think at worst, Edmonds is a borderline Hall of Famer. But to me, and I know the numbers are a little bit different, I think Jim Edmonds was every bit the center fielder and offensive player Andrew Jones was. And when they talk about how Billy Wagner didn't succeed in the postseason, Jim Edmonds was a monster in the postseason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's I, not getting in. He's never getting in. Which is which is so strange to me. Because why? Just because I think there's people and the era in which he played, he hit what 393 home runs, didn't get to 400, didn't get to 500, and I think there's just a perception that he was not as good as we know he was. He. You're saying that it's more of like a Cardinals St. Louis bias. I think we probably look at him. Differently, There's also, by the way, a bias against him because people think that because of the way he played with such flash and such sizzle that he was trying to get on highlights. Well, if you make the play, whether it's spectacular or not spectacular, but you make the play, what difference does it make how it looked? And he made the plays. He was a gold glove center fielder, five, six. He was a seven-time gold glove center fielder. He was awesome in center field. And if you hear the way that a lot of the writers talk about it Andrew Jones I I just I just don't think there's been a weird thing 
where people just are obsessed with Andrew Jones because of the freak athlete he was, mm-hmm. and that carries their opinion past Jim Edmonds. But I mean, every every number, every writer you look at, it just there's no differentiation between them if you take away just the homerism from each side. I just think they're incredibly similar players their entire career. So how Andrew Jones is still trucking along, getting closer, and Jim Edmonds isn't only because of the dumb rules, it, it will always kind of bother me a little bit. So here, here's my question to you. Do you, if you're looking at cheating is cheating, right? Mm-hmm. But which one would you just say is worse for you? Which one are you going to take into account more? Is it worse what Beltron did? Or is it worse to have taken the PEDs in an era when a lot of people were doing that as well? I think the close, this is a great Bill Polian line that he used for Deflategate, but I think it's great and applies. The closer it gets to the lines, the white lines, and onto the field, the worse it is. So if you're taking a PED in the clubhouse, in in the team bathroom before the game, that's one thing. But the closer you get, and it affects the game directly, like banging on a trash can in the dugout so that you can be standing on the field of play and get an advantage, I think that's worse. I do, too. I, I really do, because it greatly affected the game. It led, in my opinion, to the Astros winning the World Series. Agreed. And to me, that doesn't seem fair whatsoever. Now, maybe, in some line of thinking, they're, it, they're saying there's more teams doing it than what we thought initially. But nobody has any real evidence of that. I think that's one of the issues that we run into is, sure, it's easy for the Astros to say, well, everybody was doing it. Well, then find proof. We have proof about you. So just find us a shred of evidence and I can buy it. But until then, I can't. Let me give you one more thing about Jimmy Edmonds, who finished his career. OPS is a big stat for a lot of people, right? Jimmy Edmonds finished his career with an OPS, career OPS of 903. In 2022, a 9.03 OPS would have been the sixth best in all of baseball for the season. For the season, Andrew Jones had a career OPS of 8.23. And if you want to get even more analytical, look at OPS plus Jim yeah. Edmonds, a 132, Andrew Jones just a 111. That's for their career. That is a huge difference. That's a le- that's Andrew Jones 11 percent better than a replacement player, and then Jim Edmonds 32 percent better than a replacement hitter. That is a humongous jump. And again, you want to talk about freak athlete? You want to talk about one of them being six one two thirty? Their hit counts the same. The only thing Jones has him on is home runs. Right. He's got him by 40 home runs. And that's it. When you think when you take in the injuries, I just I, it, it, the the hit counts, the run counts, the RBI, the analytics are better in Edmonds' case. You have the gold gloves. That's slightly more in Jones's case where he's got 10 to Edmonds 8 still. It's it's insane. I'm not saying Jones shouldn't be in. I'm saying no. Edmonds should be right there with him every single year going up towards that 75%. And Brooke, we talk about slices of history. The 8 years that Jim Edmonds was with the Cardinals. 8 full seasons, a 947 OPS, 143 OPS plus. 947 was his OPS this season. Only three hitters for the whole, for one season. That's This is eight seasons. We're talking about a 947 OPS. There were only three players in baseball in 2022 that had an OPS better than 947. Aaron Judge, Jordan Alvarez, and Paul Goldschmidt. That was it. That's Brooke. I'm Randy. Matthew is here. And coming up, we've got the fight. Do we have a fighter for the fight? Yes. We do have a fighter. So uh, we're going to have a fight for you next on 101 ESPN. You're 
back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome to the fight. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. Welcome back into the opening drive here on 101 ESPN. I'm Matthew Rocchio. That's Brooke Grimsley sitting in for Carrie Davis, who's out in L.A. and probably dealing with much different weather than all of the St. Louis area anyhow, including our caller on the fight today. That is Darren. Darren, thank you so much for joining the show today. Did, did you have to go out of the house today or were you able to stay home? Nope, I had to go to work. So we're just enjoying the snow and the wet days. How was your drive in, sir? That's not too bad. The roads are just a little wet. Not too terrible. There we go. We get a little, nice. we get a little, little uh, weathercaster Darren here giving us an update on the roads. Okay, you you worked, but did you go by the grocery store get some milk and <laughs> all that good stuff? No, just a good hot cup of coffee to get me through the day. Nice. There we go. Darren's a gamer. And speaking of that, Darren, how are you feeling about your your opportunity against Mega Mind today? Oh, I'd say my chances aren't very good, but you never know what might happen. Fair enough. Fair enough. Let's dive right into it. Are you ready for your questions? Yes, sir. All right, Brooke, take it away. All right. Hopefully the coffee is getting you ready to go. Question number one. When Scott Rowland injured his shoulder in 2005, who ended up playing the majority of innings at third base for the Cardinals? Hector Luna, Miguel Cairo, or Abraham Nunez? Let's go with Miguel Cairo. Speaking of underrepresented positions in Halls of Fame, there are only three pure punters and kickers in the NFL. Jan Stenerud and Ray Guy are the first for their respective positions. Who is the only other punter-kicker to be inducted in the NFL Hall of Fame? Is it Adam Vinatieri, Shane Leckler, or Morton Anderson? Morton Anderson. Happy birthday to Stink Mark Schlereth. Schlereth is best known for his run with the Broncos in the late 90s, but which team did he win his first Super Bowl with? The New York Giants, Dallas Cowboys, or Washington Redskins? Let's go New York Giants. All right, and we're getting ready for City SC's first ever game for the regular season, and it will be an away game at Austin FC. Who was the St. Louis Rams' first ever opponent in this city? It was also an away game. Was it the New Orleans Saints, the Green Bay Packers, or the Atlanta Falcons? Let's go New Orleans Saints. All right, Darren, we will double-check our score, and we will go get Randy Carricker. All right, Darren, how are you feeling after that? Oh, not very confident. I think I have guessed on all four of them. <laughs> hey, look, you sailed through it, though. I like the confidence with answering. You didn't even, <laughs> you know, wait a minute. It felt like you kind of went with your gut on each one, right? It pretty much was. I wasn't confident on any of them, so I was like, well, there's no point in overthinking it. That's the best thing to do, especially with standardized tests. I remember that. You just have to go with your first instinct. Yeah. It, it didn't do very good for me in high school, I can tell you that. <laughs> me either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Randy's back in the studio. Randy, how are you feeling today? Say hi. I'm doing great. Say hi to Darren. Darren, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Are you uh, working at home, or did you drive through the snow this morning? I am out in the snow this morning checking out job sites. Okay, good. Well, it's not that bad getting around, is it? No, no, just a little slushy. I think they made it sound a lot worse than it was going to be. Yeah, I think so. They have a tendency to do that. I was going to say, they've never done that before. Uh, Randy, are you ready to compete against Aaron? Ready. All right, Brooke, take it away. Question number one. When Scott Rowland injured his shoulder in 2005, who ended up playing the majority of innings at third base for the Cardinals? So he... 
collided with Hesop uh, Choi of the Dodgers. Uh, wound up having a couple of surgeries. And if I'm not mistaken, in that season, that was the year the Cardinals had Abraham Nunez as their super utility guy. And I believe he wound up playing a lot of third base. Speaking of underrepresented positions in Halls of Fame, there are only three pure punters and kickers in the NFLs. Jan Stenrud, Ray Guy are the first for their respective positions. Who is the only other punter kicker to be inducted? Pure punter kicker, I should say. I was there <laughs> when he was inducted. I'm just trying to think of the year that he, he got an eight. It was Morton Anderson, but I don't remember who, what member of the greatest show on turf went in when Anderson went in. It might have been Isaac a few years ago. I'm not sure, though. Happy birthday to Stink Mark Shalareth. Shalareth is best known for his run with the Broncos in the late 90s. But which team did he win his first Super Bowl with? He was a Hanny guy as part of the Hogs with the uh, Washington Redskins. Hail to the Redskins. Randy, we're getting ready for City SC's first ever game, and it's going to be an away game against Austin FC. Go City. Who was the St. Louis Rams' first ever opponent, also an away game? Hmm. I don't remember who it was, but I do remember Isaac Bruce having a blocked punt and then scoring a touchdown on the very first play after his blocked punt. He never played special teams again after that. Wound up with 119 catches. The St. Louis Rams' first game was at Lambeau Field against the Green Bay Packers. This was an interesting fight today. Was Darren able to pull a two for really an impressive day? Wake up, go to work, fight through the snow, and then take down Randy Carricker in the fight? Did he pull off almost like a, a Gordie Howe hat trick of getting through the day on this th- Wednesday? I almost said Thursday. This Wednesday? Ring that bell. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight is driven by Mobile On The Run. Join the On The Run STL Wash Club for a limited time offer of $5 a month. Download the app today. Just win, baby. Darren, I'm sorry. Randy Carricker, he hit the jack. He got all four right, and he beat you four to one today. So I'm very sorry. I'm glad you were able to get around safely today, but unfortunately we're not topping off the day just yet with a, with a, with a win on the fight, Darren. Well, Randy's always tough to beat. When he gets all four, it's almost impossible. So I congratulations, Randy. Thank you, Darren. Appreciate it. Uh, safe travels out there and find some good job sites. I appreciate it. You guys have a great day. You too. Take care. In fact, somebody did get four and they still didn't beat Randy. And you heard all the answers there. Abraham Nunez was the third baseman for the Cardinals. 720 innings at third base for the Cardinals in 2005 when Roland was injured with his shoulder. Uh, Morton Anderson is only the third pure punter and kicker elected into the NFL Hall of Fame alongside Jan Stenerud and Ray Guy. Mark Schlereth won two Super Bowls with the Broncos, but he won his first with the Hogs 1991 when they beat up on the Bills in Super Bowl 26. At the uh, Metrodome in the Minneapolis. Metrodome. And it was, in fact, in Lambeau Field, quite the place to have a first game for a new franchise after they move. The St. Louis Rams, newly inducted on September 3rd, 1995, topped the Packers 17-14 to in Lambeau Field. They went 7-9 in that first season here in St. Louis. Lost their last three. Lost their last three. It could have been a playoff team right out of the gate. So, Darren, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you so much for playing today. 
Thank you. Appreciate it. Darren with us on 101 ESPN. Next up with Brooke, Randy, and Matthew, we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line as Scott Rowland goes into the Hall of Fame. Our buddy Brad Thompson has some great stories about Rowland's career. We're going to hear about Brad's Major League debut next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. And he hits one into left field. Back at the track, at the wall. It's a 1-1 game. Scott Rowland gets his first home run in the postseason since 2004 when he went deep off Roger Clemens in Game 7 of the NLCS. Game 1 of the 2006 World Series. Scott Rowland going deep for the Cardinals. Yesterday, Scott Rowland elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. And Brooke Grimsley in for Kerry Davis. Randy Carricker with you. We go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Our friend and still teammate, the one, the only Brad Thompson, joins us to talk some Scott Rowland. Good morning, sir. How are you? Uh, Randy, Brooke, I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Everything's good. Now, I need to get uh, one thing out of the way because I saw you during the weekend down at Cardinal Fantasy Camp, and your your hammy was kind of barking. How are you now? Randy, I got to tell you, if, if the story ended with, uh, with my left hamstring barking, that would have been great. As you know, I told you. Uh, I'm a little bit, uh, apparently I'm getting older. You know, I felt a little something running to first base, and I'm like, okay, well, that's no big deal. Next inning, go out and field the ground ball to my left. Felt a good pop, so that, that left one was purple the next day. Uh, so I, I get it. You know, when you see somebody, uh, it looks like they got shot out there on the field. That's what that feels like. But, Randy, the next day, our team made it to the championship game, and I had that left one wrapped up, and I'm like, okay, well, here we go. Let's, let's do this. Uh, I tried to score from second. Brendan Ryan got a base hit. Championship game, got to go, got to go. Uh, between third and home, it would, the sniper got me in the right hamstring. So both of them gone within a, within a matter of two days. So I'm sitting here just straight leg walking around nowadays. Uh, and waiting for these bad boys to come back. So, oh, uh, Scott Rowland, I am not. <laughs> You're Tyler O'Neill. Oh, basically, basically without the upside. Like, that's the hard part. <laughs> hey, I want, uh, as we start here talking about Scott Rowland, I want, to tell this, uh, want you to tell your story about your Major League debut. Well, so uh, I got called up uh, in early 2005, and as you guys know, that was a very veteran team there. The, the youngest guy on that roster was Yadier Molina, but it almost felt like Yadi was already established at that point. You knew that he was the heir apparent for Matheny, uh, so he was in. I mean, that's a roster that had uh, Scott, obviously, Jim Edmonds, Larry Walker, Reggie Sanders, so very veteran group. I get called up, and uh, first game up, I get up in the bullpen. Be, you know, Tony calls down, tight game late, and it was a game that I – like, I was like, oh, my God, I want to get into this game. This is fantastic. Tony knew darn well that I was not going to get into that game, but he wanted to get the adrenaline flowing, and that's probably good because I was giving out souvenirs in the bullpen, just chucking <laughs> stuff over everybody. Uh, but it was like five or six days later that I actually did get into a game, and it was Mother's Day uh, 2005. It was Bush 2. So you guys, you remember how, how enclosed it was and how big it felt at Bush Stadium. Weekend game, absolutely packed. 
I get the call, I'm jogging in, and I do make the mistake of when I'm jogging in from the bullpen of doing the little look around, and I say, oh, my gosh. Okay, this is a lot. This is a lot going on here. I get out to the mound. I'm throwing my warm-up pitches, and, you know, as you throw your last warm-up pitch, they throw it around the infield, and it's got rolling over there at third. He's the last one to get the baseball, and he comes walking over to me, and Scott looks. He goes, hey, hey, your parents make it in? I said, no, they're not here yet, Uh, Mr. Roland. They're going to be here in a couple of days. Uh, And he's like, okay. And he keeps looking around. He's like, man, a lot of people here, huh? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there's a a whole lot of people here. And he flips me the ball, flips me the baseball. He says, well, good luck. And he just crossed back over to his position. I said, okay, here we go. Nothing to worry about. But it was was just so funny. And, And Randy, you got to know, you got to know Scott over the years. Scott Rowland, like when you're watching him on the field, he's the epitome of like what you want to be. He's nose down, go to work, does everything 100%. When you get to know him, though, he's hilarious. Like he is sneaky funny, and he's always like jabbing a little bit. There's always something under there. So him doing the, well, good luck, like it was it was probably really funny, yet, yet uh, terrifying at the time. <laughs> that's, that's amazing, Brad. I, I'm sure it's hard to kind of dwindle this down, but is there just a specific play with Scott Rowland that just sticks out in your mind, just memory-wise, of witnessing? There's not one for sure, but it was really funny yesterday. Uh, as you know, highlights are going all over the place of Scott and his career. And known, uh, he's a complete player. But a lot of people, when you think Scott Rowland, you think the glove of over 300 home runs, over 500 doubles. Like, but you think uh, about the defense. And uh, it was funny as I'm seeing a bunch of these highlights roll. I saw more than one of number 48 on the mound as he's flagging <laughs> stuff over at third base because you know that like that was my game is let somebody hit it really hard at somebody talented and let them do the job. Uh, so when when I'm thinking Scott Rowland though, really I'm thinking about the play where he's going to the backhand where it ends up ranging into foul territory and he throws a rocket over there to first base. Like, that's the play that I see oftentimes. But the guy's range in the athleticism, especially as big as he was, like, he's built like a, you know, a brick house. Like, the guy is a monster. The way that he was able to move and the arm strength that he had, I mean, he'd end up in foul territory on a knee and throw a laser over to first base. And I think that we see a lot of times, I mean, there's not that many third basemen that find themselves in Cooperstown. I believe, what is it, Randy? Is he the 15th third baseman? Yeah, 15 like, or 18. It's, yeah, it's I mean, a small it, number. It really is. And a lot of times that, that's because guys that profile to be like Hall of Fame at that position oftentimes have to switch off of it because the athleticism just isn't there anymore to play that position. He played it at a high mark for a really long time. And there is no better feeling for a pitcher to not even have to look after a ball is hit to that side of the field. And I had that luxury with Scott Rowland and David Eckstein on the left hand of the left hand side of the infield, like you never had to look. You'd give up a laser that way, and I just fix the mound. I'm like, all right, let's go get the next guy because you just knew it was going to be there, and that's a luxury right now that the Cardinals pitching ha- staff has with Nolan Arenado over at third base. You better think about how fortunate we've been to get to see Scott Rowland and now Nolan, and then certainly with Tommy Edmond at short. Anything that's hit to that side is an out. BT, one of the things that b- baseball players take a hit for sometimes is their toughness. You mentioned his size, but what he dealt with, and you were in the clubhouse with him and saw what he had to deal with with that shoulder. 
there, he was playing a lot when he should not have been playing. For sure, for sure. And unfortunately, and it's, it's smart, like you're not going to let all the information out to the opposition knows what you're dealing with. But your fans don't know what you're dealing with either, right? Uh, and uh, you know, from from a broadcast side, I think that when you listen closely, uh, there would there would be you know alluding to what the shoulder was like and what he's battling through. But that shoulder was a mess. I mean, he had that collision. Uh, I believe it was 2005, right? With right. Stop Joy, yep. and it was like he just never was quite the same after that yet he still figured out a way to get it done. So all the work that he did beforehand and all the therapy and all the stuff that he had to grind through, a lot of guys, and I don't want this to sound like a, like a, a back-in-my-day thing or a back-in-Scott's day, like a, a lot of guys don't know how to work through those things and, and the difference you know, between, hey, this is a pain that I might have or this is something I can't get over. He just worked through it, and it wasn't, I'm sure it wasn't fun oftentimes to work through a lot of the things that he did, but he just wanted to be out there. He's a winner. He was not – I don't think that Scott ever was thinking about, hey, I hope, I hope I make it to the Hall of Fame and I hope I hit 30 home runs this year or I hope I drive in 100. He said, I want us to win. And when you watched him work and you watched the things that he goes through, I think that when, when I hear you talk about that part of it too, being injured, I think about Larry Walker, also a guy on that team who was just like battling forever to get himself on the field, another Hall of Famer. Like that's a, those are the guys that you want to emulate. You never want to have to deal with the injuries that they, they do, but you want to compete the way that they competed. So when I'm thinking about Scott Rowland, like that's what I think about. I think about the, the work ethic and everything that it took to, to do what he did. You got a guy that averaged 25 home runs and 102 uh, RBI uh, in, in his 17 year career. I mean, that's a pretty darn good 162 game average. So but the guy, it wasn't easy just to get out there every day for him. Brad, now Scott said last night that he said he hasn't exactly decided which team's hat he will adorn on his bust in the Hall of Fame. If you could, you know, maybe decide for him or your just thoughts on which hat you think he should have. Yeah, he's a cardinal. I mean, <laughs> this is this is where he was beloved, right? Uh, so makes his uh, makes his way in Philadelphia. We all know kind of how that that all went there. It just wasn't the perfect marriage. They gave him the start, very talented. Uh, but this is kind of where baseball fell in love with Scott Rowland is in St. Louis. So personal decision and a tough one. Like I know it's a very easy as Cardinal fans to just say, oh, for sure, if, if you were a Cardinal, put on the, the STL. And it's an honor to wear that hat. It's an honor to wear the jersey. But you also try not to disrespect other organizations that you played for and gave you an opportunity throughout the years. But, I mean, if you're trying to pick between all of the landing spots and certainly bounce around a little bit, Toronto, Cincinnati, uh, after, after the Cardinals, look, he's, he's a Cardinal through and through. He's a Cardinal Hall of Famer. He'll be remembered here forever. If you got to pick a cap, I mean, this is an easy one for me. I'm not sure it's as easy for Scott. BT, one last thing. Now, as you have a chance to reflect, think about this. When you came up, that team that you were playing with, you were the pitcher, half of the starting eight is going to be in the Hall of Fame. Pujols. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, Pujols, Molina, Walker, Roland. That's incredible, isn't it? It is, it is incredible. And it was something that, like, I knew, I knew when I came up how talented that team was. And it, I, I did absolutely go by the old adage of better to be seen than to be heard. 
But in that that clubhouse, it meant more than just, hey, rookie, shut up. It was there. It's like I got a chance to learn something. Every single day when I'm watching these guys or I'm listening to these guys or I'm seeing how they work, like there is something special that is here. Uh, but now seeing it from a from a higher view, first of all, how lucky were we to watch like the team in 2004? 2005 was, you know, a, a more talented team on paper than the 2016 that ultimately ended up winning the World Series. Like it was just a, it was a great team and a great era of Cardinal baseball. But amazing to see these guys going into Cooperstown, heading there in a couple of years, as you mentioned, with Albert and with Yadier Molina. It's just a special time, and it's a, a tradition here in St. Louis that keeps continuing. You know, the Hall of Famers. Uh, they, they keep wearing that uniform. Nolan Arenado, I mean, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. I believe that Goldie is on a Hall of Fame trajectory. There are a lot of things going good in this organization, but a pretty special team to be a part of. And we, we can't bury the lead here. Double pulled hamstrings, and you did the second one in the championship game. Did you win the game? No, ultimately lost. I will say that run, that run, it was in the first inning. It made it one nothing. It felt pretty good. Now, I was slated the uh, the bottom half of that inning where the visitor team, Randy. Uh, I was slated to play third base, and I was picking it okay over there. Uh, and uh, our third baseman, who was a stud, okay, he's a very good player, he was not slated to start there that inning. That was going to be me. He made two errors in the inning. It was a rocky start. Uh, but uh, you know what? Ultimately, we lost by 10. So it had nothing to do with that. Uh, but it was uh, – it was a fun time. You know the fantasy camps are great. It was so great to see you down there. It was great to see Patrick. Patrick did such a great job. I don't know if you talked about it already, but he was speaking on behalf of Mercy and his journey uh, you know, through, through, uh, through his cancer treatments and what Mercy has meant to him. And it was just a really fantastic weekend, and I thought Patrick did a great job, and what a great representative he is. Just so happy to see him doing well and, and being, uh, you know, being that spokesperson for – getting that out there for young adults and adolescents because it's uh, it's a kind of one of those areas, Randy, as you very well know, for a lot of people it kind of falls through the cracks and Mercy's making sure it doesn't happen. BT, you're the best. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Love having you on and uh, love you. And we'll talk to you soon. Hey, love you guys too. I will uh, talk to you soon. And look, I'm filling in for BK the next couple of days. I'll see you in there. All right. I love it. Thank you, sir. That's the great uh, Brad, Brad Thompson, um, 101 ESPN. And as we head out here, we're going to talk a little bit more baseball about Albert Pools, but got to hear this as we go to break. Runners go, and the pitch is hit left side. Rolling from his knees. Oh, what a play! Takes a hit away. And the possibility of two runs scoring and gets the final out in the top of the fourth. Remarkable play from Olin. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Randy and Carrie break down the biggest story of the day on the Opening Drive. It's time for today's Big Thing.
910 in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Brooke Grimsley is in for Carrie. I'm Randy. And as we look at today's big thing, I don't know if you saw over the weekend, but Artie Moreno, the owner of the Angels, who had put the team up for sale, he was exploring a sale of the team, has decided to keep the Angels. Now, Artie Moreno was the guy who, after the 2011 season, gave Albert Pujols a contract with the Angels and a personal services contract. And Brooke... Seems to me that if you sign somebody to a personal services contract, it's probably going to be a little bit more personal if you're the person that gave that personal services contract to the other person. I wonder if Albert might be a little more beholden to the Angels because Artie Moreno, who he has a great deal of affection for, is still the owner. I Yeah, I, I would assume so. And also... You're not going to shy away from ten million. Yeah, right? million Guaranteed. dollars a year. Yeah, million dollars. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to exactly shy away from that either. So, I, I feel like he's going to continue to honor that personal services contract. I wish that we don't know the specific details of it, right? Of all what all that entails, and also how that plays into the relationship that Pujols has with the Cardinals, right? Right, and their president, the Angels' president, John Carpino, said in November that they would like. Albert to be a team ambassador. He showed up at their golf tournament. Albert showed up at the Angels golf tournament in November. He'll work with young players at their Angels Academy. But Carpino also said that while the Angels have exclusive rights to Albert during the first 10 years of his retirement, uh, Carpino was asked if it would preclude Pujols from doing similar work for the Cardinals. And Carpino said possibly, but he said that he would also work with Albert and the Cardinals so that Albert could represent the Cardinals in certain situations like the Cardinals Hall of Fame. I don't know if that would include opening day, but the Angels seem to have an understanding that the Cardinals were, while the Angels were very important to him and they have the personal services contract, the Cardinals are a very important part of Albert's history, too. Yeah, and especially you could just tell how much it meant to Albert to finish his career this way in St. Louis. I I think the Angels will hopefully take all that into account and be respectful of that as well. I mean, you could even tell, I I don't know how many times Albert said towards the end of the season how much it meant to him to be able to finish this way in St. Louis. And it's not like he went out, you know, oh, there goes Albert. Like, he didn't really do that much at the end here. It was nice having him, though. He was an impact player. It was like young Albert all over again. Mm-hmm. It felt like what we experienced in St. Louis before. It, I feel like it would be very weird for the Angels to stand in the way of anything like that. Now, I understand that he will obviously commit himself to a lot of those things. So do you think it would be almost kind of like how Ozzie Smith, where he's around for a lot of the spring training and events like that? My guess would be, and you're talking about for the Angels. Yes. I, I would think that that would be the case. But... I don't know that the Cardinals are going to give anybody a real opportunity to be a guest coach in spring training anyway. So I don't know that that makes a lot of difference. One thing we do know for sure is that the Angels don't do things the way the Cardinals do. They just don't have enough of a history and tradition to have the sort of opening day that the Cardinals do. My guess would be, and the Angels open up this year on their home opener is against Toronto on April 7th. I I can't imagine that the Angels, even though they're paying the guy $10 million a year, would go to Albert and say, yeah, you can't show up at that incredible tradition that is opening day in St. Louis. I just, uh, and by the way, the Cardinals open up 
against Toronto on March 30th. So completely different days. Maybe they would, but Carpino did say that they'll be open to talking to Albert and the Cardinals. It just makes sense to work in concert with another franchise. And it's not like the Cardinals are going to ask him to go down and serve at their Dominican Republic Academy or coach their guys up. It's probably, what, three or four times a year that the Cardinals would want Albert services so that he could be a part of their their tradition because he's such a huge part of their history. I know if I were John Carpino and the Angels, I would want to try to keep Albert happy so that he would be enthused about that personal services contract and continue to do things for my organization. And that's where he lives currently now, right? Is out in that LA mm-hmm. area. Yeah. And also from what I've seen with this contract, at any point he can also just get out of it. So it's up to him. Of course, who would want to turn away that money? But with Albert, I think we all are very well aware he's done well Mm -hmm. money-wise in his career. So if you don't keep him happy, he has that option to just not continue that personal services contract. Yeah, and obviously from a baseball perspective, he's going to be more revered here than he is in Anaheim. He is a legend in St. Louis. He played at the same time as Mike Trout. In Anaheim, unfortunately for him, Mike Trout's the legend there. Albert was Robin, at best there. And then when they got Otani, maybe who was the third Catwoman? I don't know. <laughs> but whatever, he he was never top, top one there. He was top two, but he was never top one here in St. Louis. Even in his last year, even with the team that had Arenado and the MVP and Goldschmidt and Wayno and Yadi, Albert was number one, right? Yeah. E- even in the last year, so that's something that you just can't change. It's well, pretty cool. And he even mentioned, remember when he hit 700 at Dodger Stadium, that he mentioned how much it meant to him to hit 700 with the Dodgers because he felt like it was that Dodgers was kind of a starting point for him for kind of reinvigorating his mm-hmm. love for the game. And then St. Louis, of course, playing the big part in that as well, too. So it seems like he has even more of an affinity for the Dodgers, even though that was a really short stint. And... The Cardinals. Yeah. So, uh, bottom line, Artie Marino is keeping the Angels, and hopefully he'll be open-minded enough to allow Albert to participate with some Cardinal activities as well. That's Brooke. I'm Randy. That's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, our weekly visit with Blues forward Robert Thomas. He's coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Thomas Scott! Inside the Blues locker room. What a goal by Robert Thomas! It's time now for Blues forward Robert Thomas on the opening drive. Driven by Pure Performance, the only stop for all your aftermarket vehicle needs. Grimsley is in for Kerry Davis. I'm Randy Carricker. We go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and our weekly visit with Blues Center Robert Thomas. Good morning, sir. How are you? Robert, are you there? Doing well. Yeah, sorry. There we go. We got you. <laughs> I'm doing well, guys. How are you? Everything, everything's great. Hey, let's start with this. As a, as a kid who grew up in Aurora, Ontario, Canada, when you see on the news that we're going to have this awful snowstorm that's going to lock everybody in and they got to get to the grocery store that they have food for a week, you kind of roll your eyes at us a little bit? Yeah, well, uh, I did. I, I actually didn't know until late last night that it was supposed to snow, so I was kind of excited and uh, everyone was talking about this huge storm and yeah, I looked out my window this morning and I could still see half my grass. So uh, <laughs> I don't know what kind of storm we're talking about. So, so how much snow are you used to, I guess? 
Yeah, I mean, growing up, we'd always have a couple of feet. Uh, you know, feet. you'd always jump in this. Oh yeah, you'd jump in the snowbanks, and and we're not even that far north. So those guys up north got a lot more than us. Robert, I'm from the south, and so just hearing that, the south would. I think explode if we got a couple of feet of snow. I mean, we would used to have school closings when it was just cold outside because we're not used to that. Yeah. I mean, as a, as a kid, you know, at school, it was the best with the snow. You'd build, you know, snow forts and, uh, that was how you spent your recesses. So it was a ton of fun. That's pretty cool. Hey, also when you were a kid, was there much pond hockey? I know that we have this romantic feeling about Canadian pond hockey, but I know you guys, everybody's got a rink up there too. What was your childhood like in terms of, of playing the sport? Yeah, I honestly pretty much lived on the pond in, in the, in the winter. Um, my dad was actually the one on the street. He'd always build the backyard rink. Um, so all my buddies would come over and, and we'd just play for hours and hours and it'd bring food out and hot chocolate and all that stuff. And, and we just play all day and all night. Were you dominant? Now, you, you can tell us because you've been a great player throughout your youth. But even then, as a little tiny kid, were you better than the other guys? <laughs> uh, no, I wouldn't say that. Um, my, my dad kind of stuck me out with the older kids. Uh, when I was young, so I had to do a lot of catching up there. So, yeah, you you were pretty darn good. <laughs> Robert Thomas with us on 101 ESPN. Hey, one other thing. Do you look forward, and we've, we talked to you when you guys spent a few days in Vegas, but you, you deal with the reasonably cool weather here, 30, 40 degrees. Do you like making a January or February trip to Phoenix where you know it's going to be warm and you get to a chance, chance just to go out and walk around outside? Yeah, I think that's always nice. Um, you know, we all, we go from there to Winnipeg, so we get the both ends, kind of both ends of the spectrum there. Um, but yeah, no, it'll be nice to uh, you know go out this afternoon, go for a nice walk, and and put a pair of shorts on. Um, so I'll be pretty excited about that. Robert, I know that this homestand didn't end exactly the way that you guys wanted, and I'm not trying to make excuses, but I think we all are fully aware of how many injuries you guys have had this season. Just from a player standpoint, is it really hard to build consistency and also team chemistry, having so many guys coming in and out of the lineup, especially key players like Ryan O'Reilly and Tarasenko, which I know that he returned last night? Yeah, yeah, it is It is hard to, you know, it's not an excuse, like you said, but um, it is hard when, you know, you have major pieces coming in and out of the lineup. It changes really the flow of the game. And, um, yeah, it was nice to get Vladdy back. I thought he had a ton of great chances last night. That will only come as he kind of gets back in the rhythm. And, um, yeah, it is hard. And, um, obviously, the homestand didn't go the way we wanted it to. Um, I thought we, you know, played some really good hockey and then, uh, you know, let it slip at the start of games. And uh, that, that cost us, so. Uh, I think overall, I think we, we played a bunch of solid games, um, just little little key moments, which seems to be the theme of the season that have kind of bit us in the butt. And, and Robert, you, you referenced the starts, especially these last two games, Chicago and then last night. And obviously, if, if everybody had the answers, they, they wouldn't be happening. But what what's the feeling like on the bench when, like last night, those two goals in the first minute and a half that, uh, that uh, Buffalo scored? Yeah, uh, it's pretty deflating. Uh, I mean, it's nothing worse than jumping down 2-0 in the first couple of minutes um, or, or 3-0 or, um, you know, that stuff's hard to hard to battle back from. And I think we did a great job resetting. And even they scored at the start, the start of the second period to make it 4 nothing. 
Um, but we, you know, we found a way to, to stick with it and, and battle back. And I think we had a ton of chances there at the end and just couldn't, couldn't seem to find the, the equalizer. So, um, yeah, yeah, the starts are just, it's just so hard to come back when, when you get down that bad. What is the feeling and kind of goal for you guys going into these final three games before the All-Star break? Are you kind of looking forward to having three games and kind of a point to reset? Yeah. Um, yeah, these are these are huge games all obviously in our conference and we got some nice division matchups coming up. So uh, these are huge games to, to kind of, you know, we're chasing Winnipeg and Colorado and, um, you know, if we could get those two wins, that would be uh, be massive before the break. And what's the what's the feeling like in the room? As you mentioned, we we all know that this was a disappointing homestand, but this is also a group of players that has a pretty substantial history of success. So, what's it like in the room right now? Yeah, I don't think uh, the confidence in the team has has dropped at all. I think um, you know everyone's starting to just waiting. We're we're ready to get on that roll, and um, we know. You know, a nice win streaks coming coming around the corner, and um, yeah, I think I think that confidence is still there. I think you know everyone's excited still every game. The, it's a new opportunity and a time to kind of turn around the season. So there's no lost hope or or anything like that. And um, yeah, I think everyone's excited for the challenge of this road trip. How has your role expanded now that you're kind of wearing the A and obviously being now a more of a voice and leader in that room? Yeah, I think uh, I don't think it's changed too much. I think um, you know I'm trying to just be true to myself and true to the way that you know I believe is the best way to lead, and um, you know that's that's the only thing. Um, you know, you just try and step up and uh, talk a little bit more. I'm not the biggest talker, so um, you know I've tried to try to be a little better at that, and um, that's about it. What about the officials? Are the officials fun to talk to? Uh, sometimes, uh, that's for sure. Uh, I'm starting to get a little bit better at, uh, communicating with them. So, um, yeah, it's been, been more helpful out there. Okay. Last question for you. Cause we were talking about this earlier with snow day meals. Which one do you think is better pancakes or waffles? Cause I feel like snow days, that's like a big mm-hmm. breakfast food. Yeah. Um, hmm. that's tricky. Come on, you you have to have one right at the top of your mind. Uh, pancakes. Yeah, the, the oh. Fifty-one forty-nine. Here's the thing: you can you can make pancakes and include chocolate chips in them, mm-hmm. and that's part of like to me. I, I don't order a pancake unless it's a chocolate chip pancake. So I'm, I'm Robert. I'm with you hundred percent. You could do that right. with you could do it. that with waffles too, and you have the crispiness as well. I'm all in on waffles. I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. she's messed up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Robert, have a great trip. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, guys. All right, brother. That is uh, Robert Thomas, Blues Center on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, little rock and roll. Matthew Rockio will have some subjects for us here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's rock. Let's rock today. Great, great uh, line from the Blues Brothers movies. Movie, first one. What kind of music y'all like here? Oh, we like both kinds, country and western. (laughs) 
Uh, all right, so what do we got on rock and roll here? We got a couple little different things. One thing I wanted to throw throw out here, I thought I thought this was incredible. First of all, there was a lot of great uh, audios and stories that got thrown around. John Morosi was on uh, MLB Network yesterday telling some great stories about Scott Rowland. Uh, he had a great anecdote about uh, Skip Schumacher having to wear shin guards when he when he was playing with um, Scott Rowland with the Reds because of the way he would make his throws over to second base, which I thought was fascinating. But honestly, I don't think there's any piece of audio better than those initial about 10 seconds when Scott Rowland walked into his kitchen and told his mom that he had finally gotten into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Rowland's a big guy, but if you you could hear it in his voice that you could hear the cracking coming when he finally got to tell his mom that he was in the Hall of Fame. That's that's the kind of special moment we we, we always talk about on the show. You can't script it, Randy Carricker. I loved seeing the family reaction, but specifically just everyone clapping and great. But if you just hear Scott say it to his mom in his voice, mm-hmm. there's so much emotion in there. In his media availability last night with the people from Philly, St. Louis, Cincinnati, Toronto, I asked him, now that you're in, what was the highlight of your Hall of Fame career? And he choked up again and he said, it was my major league debut when I saw my parents in the ballpark and had a chance to have them there at my major league debut. All of these great things that Scott Rowland did during a Hall of Fame career and that tells you a lot about the family. It tells you a lot about him. That the highlight was his major league debut when he was able to get his parents there. I am such a baby when it comes to that stuff because as soon as I saw that video, I was like kind of tearing up a bit because it's just so special because obviously your parents have so much to do with you getting to that point and to be able to say, look, mom, I made it. Yep. I'm going to Cooperstown. And her reaction and the fact that she's able to celebrate that with him, it's just so special, you know, just to have her there for that entire career, his parents as well. I just love those moments so much. And especially, and I think every kid that has a parent that sacrifices a lot, they get it. Some parents, some kids are just naturally gifted or unfortunately just don't have parents that are involved. But for the ones that have had their parents drive them to every practice when they were a kid and be at every high school game and stuff like that, where the relationship is really solid, it is really cool to watch. It is. Also, my favorite part of that clip might be the fact that, and I don't, this might be completely coincidental, but if you watch the clip and you're listening to the audio, Scott Rowland's mom turns to say something to him, and at that moment, there's a drop in the audio. And it sounds like somebody, maybe in the background, I guess, caused the censor who was doing the live broadcast to hit a button to stop what we was heard. So I'm not sure. I don't think it was Mrs. Roland who, who dropped who dropped the, the FCC violation. But if it was, that would make me immensely happy. So if there was some confirmation about why they had to, to hit the uh, the drop mm-hmm. button, that would make me really happy. It was hilarious. Um, another also great moment from yesterday. If you've been paying attention, um, the Pittsburgh Penguins re-signed one of their all-time greats this season to a six-year contract in Chris Letang. And it has not been the, the best last month and a half or so for Chris Letang. He, of course, he suffered the stroke that caused him to miss a few weeks back in November and December. Second stroke. Say his second stroke of his career. He then got hit with a lower body injury. While he's rehabbing the lower body injury in late December, early January, his father passes away. It has been an incredibly tough two uh, two, three months here for Chris Letang. So I thought last night, two goals, four points, 
and the OT game winner on the power play. And this is how it sounded like in Pittsburgh. I thought this was incredible. Malkin gets her open. Malkin will attack. He scores! He scores! Chris Letang has brought this house down. It is his night, and the Pitt win it. month, it's been an emotional season. Four points, two goals, and the power play game winner for Chris Letang. He got pulled off of injured reserve earlier that day and then put into the Penguins lineup, and then he comes out and he puts up that kind of performance. I mean, a guy came back from a stroke, comes back from another injury, comes back from the death of his father, and he does that. That's just incredible. Good for him and good for them, and that's that's right there what sports is all about, right? Yes. Is being able to have those sorts of moments and – I'm sure that after the game, he said that was that one was for his dad. To have that sort of thing happen is really cool and one of the things that you remember about sports. 100%. I mean, it, it's just like a storybook moment, right? Mm-hmm. You just love to see those stories, and it shows that it is more than just a sport. It's those special stories that you love to see, and it's something that I love about sports the most. Yeah, it's it's the greatest reality TV, right? Yeah. There's a, There's always something that... You didn't see and that will bring a tear to your eye or just elicit emotion that other things just don't do. And I've mentioned it in our Sports Center updates, and I just wanted to throw out a big congratulations Zuliga. to you. Yeah, yeah. Heating and cooling. Um, I, don't, I don't even know why I set myself up to do an extra one of those when I didn't have to. Uh, thanks, Randy. But uh, St. Louis City SC is in their preseason schedule. They played their first one. Unfortunately, um, we're just kind of getting bits and pieces because it's not completely open to the media. Um, luckily, St. Louis City earlier this morning posted some videos from so you can actually see the first ever preseason goal by an SC. City player, which of course was by Jawa. Jao Klaus. Uh, it's it's the, the, the that Brazilian name. I've Jao Klaus. Ne- I'm pretty sure. It's, yeah, Jao. I, I've heard it. Maybe uh, really like, does his first name start with Z? No. No. What's it called? J. It's J O A O with a little thing on the A in Jao. the middle, and it's it's Brazilian. It it's Jao. Okay. So. And, yeah, and, I, and I've I'm pretty sure I'm saying Jao correctly, but Jao Klaus gets the first goal, and then we're already having some consternation here in the text line with one of the listeners, Nico. I have been, I read it off the STL City's pronunciation guide as Joachini. Nico Joachini scored the second goal for them. It's oh uh G I uh G I O A O I C C H I N I. Wow. Something like something along those lines. I just call him Nico. This this you just remind <laughs> me of something because look, there there's a lot of complicated names in sports in general, right? Or in life. There there was one team, I can't remember, and I could not thank them enough for this, especially on the TV pronunciation side of things, where they had a roster and then you could click on a button and hear the per- correct pronunciation of the name. Because even certain last names will throw you off where you're like, oh, mm-hmm. that's what it should be. No. And it throws you off so much. I feel like everybody should adopt that, where you have some sort of like just somebody saying the cor- correct pronunciation so that you don't have this long thing of Arenado, Arenado. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Right. Like, there's so many names that people still don't know what is the correct pronunciation of that last name. And we want to get it right, right? We, we know their families yeah. are yes. paying attention, listening, and watching. So we want to make sure that it's right. So that's a good idea on the part of the organization. Wait, I, have it, I have it up for you right now, if you can see it. I can see it, yeah. Joe Akini. Uh, I, I would Nico go with Joe Akini. You see? Joe Akini? 
It, it's, says, uh, it says Joe Acchini on their on on their pronunciation guide okay. that City put out. Well, if 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 they say Joe Acchini, then we got to go with Joe. Yeah, Joe Acchini. And here's the thing I wanted to bring up for you, Randy Carriker, because it wasn't in the official stat line, but following the blogs, following the coverage, I saw that the assist on Zhao Klaus's first mm-hmm. goal was credited to Owen O'Malley. Oh, I, I, oh I, Irish! Hold on a second. I thought the super draft players weren't supposed to contribute early, Randy. That's what that's what everyone was telling yeah, us. Not to have any expectations on the on pre-season. those on the super draft pre-season. players. Remember how we good we thought Joe Germain was going to be? I don't remember that. No. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was <laughs> he was a great preseason player. I have one last pronunciation story because it just reminded me of this of what my first TV market. So usually in TV you start in a very small mm-hmm. market, right? So everybody's fresh out of college. We're all learning, okay? So I'm not holding this against this broadcaster. I don't know where he is now, but I used to work with a guy on the weekend where if he didn't know how to pronounce something, he would just say the sentence and then kind of dip out like on that one part. So Rumble? he would say, he would say, today Joe Klaus had a goal for it. And he would just like, he would kind of dip, like if you were lowering the audio. Wow, and, that's not a good strategy. And he would just go through, that was his strategy. That's not a good yeah. strategy. It was so funny. It was so funny. Cause you'd be like, wait, what did you say? I wonder if you ever like practice them. Like it took me a while to get Brandon Manamaliuna or wow. Michael Oomanawanui, but eventually you get them. Right? See, and, and and the key is don't don't settle. A lot of people were just like, you know what? I'm just gonna call him a line I Mike. Mm-hmm. You can't let yourself settle for just the easy nickname. When like right. how, how people are, like there's people out there who even basketball people who do not know how to say Giannis's name correctly. So they just call him the Greek freak, or they just call him Giannis because they can't say his last name. People in the media. Thought I was an idiot in Nolan Arenado's very first uh, media availability in St. Louis. I asked him how his name was pronounced because I think everybody assumed it was Arenado. He said Arenado, and I had multiple people come up to me afterwards and say, "I thought that was stupid, but I had no idea it was Arenado." Well, because there's still people who say Arenado. Yeah, right. You you hear it all yeah. the time. I mean, I sometimes I sound like a psycho if I'm like practicing somebody's name around the house. I'll just keep saying it over and over You're again. Smart. I do My thing. fiance is probably like, "What what is Brooke doing?" I, there no. was a, there was a point where I had Owenawanui down absolutely much better than I have it now. Uh, and also, by the way, the St. Louis City thing, I, I mentioned it all the, every time when I mentioned the score, but Philadelphia Union defending Eastern Conference champion the MLS. It's preseason, but everything I'm reading from the coverage that people are actually seeing it, the the high line, the, you know, effort from the defense, you know, the, the, the winning the ball back as soon as you lose it. So far, right out of the gate in the first preseason game, that's apparently what the, the style they saw. And getting two goals late against a top team like the Union, it's a good start, even if we're talking about preseason. From City? Yes. Great effort defensively from a St. Louis? Yes. We'll take it. <laughs> the Cardinals got it. We'll take it. We're yeah, going to win a team gold glove. Two out of three, baby. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. That is Rock and Roll on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to head towards a balloon party with T-Mac and Ajax. A little What's on Tap as well. And we're going to give you some Adam Sandler tickets next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. This is the most competitive guy in the world. If he outcompetes you, we lose. You know, if we can, if we can outcompete him every single at bat against him, it's going to be a hard night for him because we can each individually compete in our own way. And I just felt like at that time, like you said, that that's not my mentality of myself on the field or how I play. It wasn't beat your chest and, and this is what's going to happen. And it was literally one or two times in my career that I had a, that I was like, I, I, this is going to happen. Now Roland with a chance to give the Cardinals a lead for the first time tonight, which he does. Is it going? Yes! 
That was Scott Rowland last night talking about Game 7 in 2004 against Houston. He was on deck, and Roger Clemens was on the mound and said to himself, they leave him in, they're going to lose. And he hit the home run, and lo and behold, Houston did lose. The Cardinals went on to the World Series. Such a humble guy, though. Brooke, it's amazing that he did have moments in his career where he said, hey, it's going to happen for me, and then he pulled it off. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's it's just so cool listening to that, too, and just hearing from him. It is really cool. Yeah, and that'll be a fun world, uh, fun trip. Crime Dog is going to have a great speech, Fred McGriff and Scott Rowland as well. So that'll be a, a cool induction ceremony yeah. in Cooperstown this summer. Yeah, we just have to wait for the hat. Yeah. <laughs> he, he better be a St. Louis hat. He's he's a St. Louis guy. I know it'll, they'll draw more people to Cooperstown from Philadelphia than St. Louis, but he's, he became a Hall of Famer as a member of the Cardinals. He when wasn't did, a Hall of Famer when he got here. When does he have to have that decided by? Well, he doesn't get to decide. Ultimately, it's the Hall of Fame that decides, and uh, they have to make the plaque, so it's got to be pretty soon. Yeah, I think so. And uh, that play actually is going to give us our trivia question today if you want to win those Adam Sandler well, tickets. Here's, and here's the thing about Adam Sandler tickets. Every day this week, we have your chance to win a pair to see Adam Sandler live at Enterprise Center on Friday, February 10th. Limited tickets remain to see Adam Sandler live for one night only at Enterprise Center. Get all the details and find a bounce chance to register to win free tickets for Adam Sandler right now at 101ESPN.com or on the 101 mobile app. When Scott Rowland stepped up to the plate, the Cardinals were tied 2-2 two to two with the Houston Astros after a double by the guy before him scored a, a Cardinal to tie it up 2-2. Two to two. So my question to you is, who scored prior to Scott Rowland on that home run? Who was on the bases when Scott Rowland hit that home run? You can also alternatively ask it, who was the man who drove in the run just prior to Scott Rowland going up there before he put them up 4-2 to two in that game? So who was on base when Scott Rowland hit that home run off Roger Clemens in Game 7 of the 4 and LCS? Caller number 27? Yes, sir, you have it. It's a good caller. Yeah, I think like so. that. 27 with the Cardinals. It's funny, at MLB.com, his first game with the Cardinals when they got him from Philadelphia, he wore number 16 and then switched because he liked the number 7 soon after that. But there's MLB.com on their big uh, banner with Scott Rowland making a play with the Cardinals number 16 on it. Really? Yeah. I mean, I think it might have been the only game that he played with the Cardinals where he didn't wear number 27. <laughs> and, and, they, and they picked that. And they picked that one, yeah. Pretty Why amazing. Not? So I guess the next Hall of Famer we look forward to is Albert, right? Yep. I don't think there's an old-timer out there where the Cardinals could possibly have a, somebody that makes it because of an old-timers committee. I, I would love to think that Jim Edmonds could be elected yes. by one of the committees, but I just don't think that that's going to happen. Do you think? I agree with you. I think I think it will be Albert as next. Do you think? I mean, when 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 Brooke brought up Kurt Flood to Verducci, you know, he mm-hmm. he was very effusive about how that would make a lot of sense when you think about his impact on the game and the contributors category. Do you think that could potentially gain some traction across the the, the you know the committees? I think it's too late. I think more... it, if it was going to happen, I think it would have happened by now. And I feel like you need somebody heavily advocating for that right. also. As well. Yeah. And people did advocate for Marvin Miller. And I'll say what I said yesterday. Marvin Miller wouldn't be a Hall of Famer if it wasn't for Kurt Flood. Yes. He needed Kurt Flood. And Kurt Flood should be in the Hall of Fame. But it just seems like so much time has passed now. We're 50 years, 53 years past the trade that would have sent him to Philadelphia. It just seems like there's 
not as much respect for what he accomplished in baseball as there should be. So we've got a balloon party coming up. We've got T-Mac and Ajax coming your way. And then as Brad Thompson mentioned, he's in for Brandon Kylie on BK and Ferrario. So we'll call it BT and Ferrario today. And then you got a fast lane coming up this afternoon from 2 to 6. And then tonight, we just got regular ESPN programming here on 101 ESPN. Blues back at it tomorrow. Pre-game at 7, face-off at 8 from Arizona. And then on Saturday, the Blues are at Colorado, eh? I'm guessing we'll have a nice little rewind for the people yeah. with uh, with Brad Thompson. Um, I believe B- I believe BT and, and, and Ferrario have uh, a Scott Rowland related interview coming up later on in their show as well. So uh, there'll be some good content uh, later on on ESPN. That if you if you missed it today, and if you did miss it today, and you can't listen to the rewind later on, you can always go to the Dobbs Tire and Auto Center podcast. Absolutely, thank you, sir. That's our producer engineer, the one, the only Matthew Rocchio. Pleasure, Brooke. This has been fun. Are yes, you, are you has, done now? This, this is my final flies. day. Yeah. Final day for a while. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, for a little bit, yes. Uh, Alexa's next. Alexa is yeah. fantastic as well, but it's been great joining you guys. I've had a lot of fun. We survived the snow together. I Thank feel like goodness. we're all bonded because of that. Absolutely. And it's been a lot of fun. You guys dealt with my sniffles too I don't know if anybody's heard I've been a little bit nasally I've tried everything I, I've put myself in like saunas all that stuff still a little nasally so you guys survived with me through that too so great. I appreciate that yeah. we, you've been great and we've enjoyed it that is Brooke Grimsley and I'm Randy thanks for tuning in texting in and being a part of the show for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7 have a great day St. Louis that's right You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.